But also, listeners, I love you. All right, we are back with a potpourri episode here. A little hint to the potpourri with Brother Love bringing us three segments this episode. This is episode 15. 16's right up on deck. We have a Saturday night's main event from November 1988. Saturday night's main event number 18 from the Arco Arena in Sacramento. The rest of this potpourri episode is spanning from MSG, Superstars, all the way down to a Bushwhackers debut in a plethora of Bushwhacker vignettes. We have quite the array of new voices here. From Retold with Richie Mars, we have Richie Mars stepping up. From the beautiful white north, Mark Poirier gives us his thoughts on Coco Beware and Mr. Perfect. And Marcus Fuller gives us his thoughts on the Heart Foundation versus Rhythm and Blues for the first time from January 1988 Superstars. Plus, all of the regular contributors that we are lucky to have here also on Cronoso. So buckle up, we are into a two-part episode here. Episode one is coming right at you, and it's going to round up 1988. So here we go, guys. Take it away from the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California. Thanksgiving may be a time of peace, but not when my championship belt is on the line. Mr. Fuji and Super Ninja, this is my declaration of war, and I take no prisoners on Saturday night's main event. To the victor goes the spoils, and I'm gonna spoil your Thanksgiving! Forget all this holiday cheer. Andre and I are here to do a job, and the job is to get back the WWF Championship belt, back to where it belongs, around the waist of the biggest man in the world. Because I'm the champion, and I want my belt. I want it now. Listen to this. B five O bam. I smell defeat for the macho man. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, tonight is the night. Tonight is the night I face the biggest threat ever to my World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. Oh, yeah, he's the eighth wonder of the world. And he's over 500 pounds of pure wrestling terror. He's the most horrifying athlete ever in this or any other generation. Andre the Giant, and tonight, with Elizabeth in my corner, I will face Andre the Giant, and I will beat him, just like David versus Goliath, yeah. We all know how that story ended, don't you, Elizabeth? Oh, yeah. I'm Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and I don't believe in Thanksgiving. I don't believe in giving anything away. I believe in buying and selling the American way. And Hercules has bought and paid for. He belongs to me. He had his price, and I paid it. So tonight, Virgil here is going to collect an overdue bill. <laughs> First, I want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to all you Hulkamaniacs out there sharing this time with your families. And then I want to say, the way Brother Love set me up to be beaten like a dog by the big boss man only shows what he knows about love wouldn't stuff a two-pound turkey. But what the Hulkster and all my Hulkamaniacs know about love is enough to stuff that pompous, pink, phony until he explodes like the hot air balloon that he is. Oh yeah, brother love, I'm gonna speak to you tonight, dude, but I'm gonna let the 24-inch pythons do the talking.
beautiful Oracle Arena in the capital of the Golden State, Sacramento, California. Hello, everyone. I'm Vince McGrand, along with, as always, Jesse the Body Ventura. Wait a minute, Jack. This is California, and California's the home of Hollywood, and Hollywood's the home of movies. And when it comes to movies, I get top billing. Welcome, everybody. This is Jesse the Body, along with Vince What's-His-Name. All right, Jesse, have it your way, but there's a lot happening here tonight on Saturday night's main event. I know that, McMahon, and if what Mr. Fuji tells me is true, we're going to have a new Intercontinental Champion. North-South Connection, what's going on? Mike Eller here giving you the landscape and arena history as we head into the November 26, 1988 Saturday night's main event. So this show was actually filmed November 16th out of the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California, but aired 10 days later on the 26th. So it actually aired a couple days before the show we just went over last time, being Survivor Series 1988. So just a cool tidbit there. Breaking down the champions, nothing too different, but there is something different from our last time. Our WWF champion is still the Macho Man Randy Savage. Our Intercontinental Champion is still the Ultimate Warrior. Despite Mr. Fuji, for some reason, turning on the Tag Team Champions and leaving the Champions for some dumb reasons, Demolition, Axe and Smash, they're still our Tag Team Champions. But where we have a change is for months I've been saying WWF Women's Champion, Sherry Martell, without so much of a change. But we have a new champion, and that is Rockin' Robin. On the November 8th, 1988 edition of Primetime Wrestling, Robin defeated Sherry to become the new women's champion. So as we move along, we'll see if anyone else wins, if nobody wins, but that's for an episode for later. Um, let's go over the arena history now where I spent a lot of time actually kind of doing a deep dive on this because I got actually a little bit confused. I'm not going to lie to you, North-South Connection. So, like I said, this takes place at the Arco Arena, which is in Sacramento, California. Basketball fans will definitely remember this for the Kings' heydays in the early 90s when they played at a raucous Arco Arena before their team turned to shit up until about five months ago when they actually finally made the playoffs again. But... Prior to being the Sacramento Kings, they actually were the Kansas City Kings, the Kansas City Omaha Kings, and they moved to Sacramento in 1988, and they didn't have a really good arena in time, so there was an, another Arco arena that existed from 85 to 88. The WWF actually did come here um, a, a little bit, but it only sat 10,000, so it wasn't nearly big enough for an NBA and really for big shows like the WWF that was holding. Um, this is a brand, it opened November 9th, 1988. So it had not even existed for three weeks by the time WWF came here and uh, had the Saturday night's main event. It did close recently. Nothing really, like the Kings were long gone by then, but it officially closed March 19th of 2022 and it was demolished about a year or so ago, it was demolished. It took 
it took a little bit of time from August to October of 2022. It was, it was demolished. Uh, it did have some other names. It was the Power Balance Pavilion from 2011 to 2012. I have no recollection of that. And then I do have recollection of the Sleep Train Arena. It was named that from 2012 to 2022 before briefly, for whatever reason, becoming Arco again in the closing months of 2022 before it was officially demolished. Um, the aforementioned Sacramento Kings, they played there from 88 to 2016 before moving into the Gold One Center where they play now. The WNBA Sacramento Monarchs, they played there from the league's inception until uh, in 1997 until the team ceased to exist in 2009. Um, the American, the AFL had a team, the Sacramento Attack, in 1992. And then there were some soccer leagues. Uh, there was the CISL and the WISL, and the Sacramento Knights were part of these soccer leagues from 93 to 2001. Uh, couldn't leave without talking about the Sacramento Rivercats of the Roller Hockey International League. I guess it would be a league. Maybe a league? I don't know. Uh, but anyhow, they existed from 19... Or they played in the Arco Arena from 94 to 96. Um, so, that's... Your history there, again, not really much to go, you know, not much, not many memories to go over there outside of the King's heyday that I had talked about. The last time that we were here, well, we couldn't have been here because it just opened. But like I said, there was the old Arco Arena. And in February 1988, the WWF was there. Uh, pretty cool matches to go over. I just wanted to touch on. Macho Man fought Andre the Giant in a double countout. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's double countout maybe isn't cool, but seeing two big stars like that at a WWF show, not bad. And uh, we also got a rematch of SummerSlam 1988, and the Ultimate Warrior defeated the Honky Tonk Man. So, um, and then, so tonight's attendance, thank goodness we weren't in that 10,000-a-seat arena because tonight's attendance was... 15,900, and our announcers for tonight are Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura. So go ahead, enjoy this awesome show we have for you. Again, I'm Mike Eller. You can find me on, you know, this show. Sometimes I pop up on the YouTube shows and love being a part of these and love talking to you guys. So we'll catch you next time and uh, let's get on with the show. Hey, Kelly Nelson here as a last-second substitute to talk to you about the ultimate warrior versus the Super Ninja? Super Ninja 1? Who the hell is this guy? So, it's an intercontinental title match. The warrior, of course, is the champion. Not sure what Super Ninja... One did deserve a title match because this is his first match in the territory. Or is it? Get into that in a bit. Mr. Fuji is Super Ninja One's manager. I think I'm just going to call him Super Ninja. Um, in the pre match interviews, it was Mean Gene who added the one 
which uh, raises the question, where is Super Ninja 2? It's interesting. It suggests, you know, it's like your, your typical mass tag team where you have number one and number two. But uh, no, this is the first and only appearance of Super Ninja 1, and unfortunately we never get to see Super Ninja 2. We can only, you know, dream of matches that they may have had between the Conquistadors, you know, mask versus mask matches, like it's uh, Mexico or something. Anyway, so we have the interviews pre-match and Mean Gene is here with Fuji and the Super Ninja. As I said, this is going to be a match for the Intercontinental title. I'm assuming Mr. Fuji, you know, maybe greased some palms, greased the palm of President Jack Tunney to uh, to lend more credence to, to those who think that Tunney was corrupt because, you know, this guy just strolls in and gets an icy title shot off the street on Saturday night's main event, no less. Something is fishy here. Then we get the Ultimate Warrior for an interview with Gene, and it's pretty tame and and uh, unnoteworthy uh, as far as uh, Ultimate Warrior promos go. You know, nothing that would become a meme later or that, uh, you know, you'd throw up on Twitter or something. Hey, look at this crazy coked-out warrior promo from the 80s now this is pretty forgettable stuff so we get the match uh the ninja comes down to some uh pretty upbeat music not exactly uh music suggesting a bad guy or suggesting a ninja you know ninjas in the 80s were were pretty damn cool you know in movies and comic books and stuff but uh this this ninja is it's not cool, though he does have a very cool-looking mask, I must say. You know, it's not cheaply made or anything. It looks like, you know, some money was put into it. Um, but other than that, yeah, his his in-ring isn't cool, that's for sure. You know, he starts off hot, comes in with chops and kicks on the warrior, but the warrior, of course, no-sells them, and then proceeds to basically beat the tar out of the ninja. It's a quick squash. Uh, a couple minutes at most. Yeah, as long as, as the promos before the match, maybe even not as long as those. Uh, but yeah, you wanted the Warrior to, to look uh, strong, of course. He's the IC champ. Build him up. Destroy this, this super ninja. Not so super after all. So that's, that's, that's it, folks. Um, what else can I tell you? Well... Let's take off the mask. Let's take off the Super Ninja's mask and see who was underneath. It was Rip Oliver. Now, Rip Oliver, maybe that's a name you've heard of. Maybe it's not. He didn't uh, make his mark in the WWF or um, WCW, for example, on a big stage. But he, he was a wrestler for quite a few years in the 70s and 80s. And uh, yeah, let's let's look into his career, shall we? So he was born in 1952, I believe, and he became a wrestler around 1975. That's the, the first date that I found for him. And he wrestled mostly in the South, 
in the late 70s. But then in 1980, he got to come back to his hometown. His hometown was Portland, Oregon. And he came to the Portland Wrestling Territory in 1980, which, if you know your history, was was pretty hot at that time. This was the peak of Buddy Rose as the top heel with his army, and Rip Oliver would join that army. He would join up with Buddy Rose, and uh, they would run roughshod through the territory for quite a few years. It's it's somewhat confusing because earlier in 1980, Buddy had a member of his army um, that was also named Rip. That was Rip Rogers. Um, so now he had Rip Oliver in his army. So it's a bit confusing. There was two Rips in Portland, two heel Rips in Portland. They both kind of had, I think, like blonde hair, long blonde hair and a, and a beard. So they even, you know, resembled each other facially. Anyway, so like I said, he was part of Buddy Rose's army in Portland for a long time. Eventually in 1983, though, they do the big babyface turn for Buddy Rose after years and years of him being a heel in the territory. And uh, it all comes at the hands of Rip Oliver turning on him and taking over Rose's army. And it becomes Rip Oliver's army. And at this point, it included the Dynamite Kid and uh, some other guys. Um, some good stuff there. Rose's babyface turn is amazing. Uh, everyone should check that out. It's, it should be on YouTube still. And yeah, the the reaction of the fans after um, when Rose turns babyface is just great because this is the first time they've seen Rose as a babyface in the territory after like seven years. And the fans just go crazy and swarm the ring um, and celebrate with Buddy. Anyway, um, Rip would remain basically, you know, not too far from Portland for the rest of his wrestling career. He would uh, do some work in Mid-South, UWF, um, in uh, World Class down in Dallas, but mostly in Portland. But he did have a bit of time in the WWF, and that's why we're, we're talking about him today. So it looks like uh, it was around August 1987 where he began like an on-and-off run as a JTTS jobber to the stars in New York and wrestled under the Rip Oliver name and uh, had quite a lot of work from like August 87 to January of 88. And then it, it, it dried up to, to nothing. Basically he would have one more match in Portland, I think in September when the WWF was in town. And then he would have this match under a hood as the super ninja and this would turn out to be his final match in the WWF. And another note, um, this match between the Warrior and Super Ninja was surprisingly the Ultimate Warrior's first Saturday Night's main event match, which uh, is interesting considering he'd been in the territory for about a year and a half or so by this point, but he hadn't made it um, on TV or on Saturday Night's main event in a match anyway. I think he'd been in a uh, like he was in a run-in or he came to the rescue of Jim Duggan on an earlier episode of Saturday Night's Main Event, but this was his first match. Anyway, just a little bit more on Rip. Yeah, this was it for him in the WWF, and he would only wrestle until 1991. At least that's the last 
dates that wrestling data has from. He wasn't even 40 yet. So I meant to look this up, but I forgot. I was wondering if I could find out some info why he retired relatively young. Like for a wrestler, retiring before you're 40 is is almost unheard of. <laughs> um, but yeah, his his career ended almost simultaneously with the with the Portland Territory itself, which only lasted until 1992. And one last note. Um, Yes, Rip here was the Super Ninja, and I'm wondering if he had uh, brought with him the mask, this, the, the cool-looking mask of the Super Ninja. I wonder if this was his um, that he owned, because looking at his records on wrestling data, in 1978 in the Florida Territory, Rip wrestled as the Samurai briefly for a few months, and I'm presuming that he wore a mask. You know, when you have a name like that, that suggests, yeah, you're you're a mask wrestler. So I'm wondering if this Super Ninja mask that he had here against the Warrior in Sunday's main event was actually his mask from his brief time as the Samurai in Florida in 1978. One can only wonder. The mask did look pretty new and, and modern looking, though, the, the Super Ninja mask. So I don't know if that would have been a mask that, that survived, you know, 10 years and or was 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 first made in the 70s i don't know it didn't look like it but anyway just a theory and yeah well looks like i've made it to 10 minutes somehow uh talking about this match good for me anyway peace i'm out welcome everyone tim slopka for saturday night's main event 1988 november edition here we are to talk about hercules and millionaire man um you know, this is a, a storyline that probably never gets put away today. It probably shouldn't have been happening in the 80s. But this match starts off, first of all, with a uh, highlight film of Hercules being sold to, to Ted DiBiase for Bobby the Great Heenan. In there, they talk a lot about slave uh, trade here and how Hercules is going to be a million-dollar man slave and a lot of things that are just non-PC or non-correct. Uh, but... We'll kind of go around those and kind of just talk through this match as it is. Uh, so we start about the highlight package, uh, you know, basically showing the background of the, the information. Then we go back to Jesse Ventura's in the back interviewing Millionaire Man. Uh, Ted DiBiase is in his great green suit right now. I just picked up from today actually a Target with Millionaire Man in that great green suit. I love it. It's one of my favorite action figures and one of the favorite looks of all time. Um, so again, talking about slaves with Virgil standing right there, it's just so realistic. And then Millionaire Man, even with a comment that says anti-American and not to be to be sold like that, is it's just crazy to hear about. So uh, obviously, I don't condone any of that, but it it just needs to be mentioned as a big part of this storyline. Um, Hercules, who I've never been uh, a fan of here, then gets an interview as well. And I thought he actually did a pretty good job talking, really built up his thing, and really put his character over pretty strong. Uh, we get to go, go to before the match. And Millionaire Man's in the ring, which is always weird to me. And again, it's so weird that he doesn't have his music in 1988. Uh, even in its early 90s, still doesn't have music. Uh, so I'm okay with him being in the ring. It's a, you know definitely a jobber's entrance. But given he doesn't have a, given that he isn't fighting and that also um, he doesn't have a theme song, I'm okay with for this time. But it is something I don't I don't like when the heels come out because I think it's a giveaway that they are not that strong. If they can't get their own theme song. Uh, as DiBiase is in the ring, they kind of start pumping up Hercules' music. They start going over what's happening on the rest of the Saturday Night's main event for the rest of the night, which is really weird, kind of in the middle of it. We're about halfway through Saturday Night's main event, and then we're bringing up what's going to happen in the second half, uh, given it's a shorter one. 
And then we get a random commercial for Burger King, which they kept in, which is amazing. Uh, and then after the commercial for Burger King, we go, <coughs> we go, sorry about that. We go a million dollar man and Virgil are in the ring attacking uh, Hercules right off the bat. Of course, they, they throw uh, Hercules into the ring, into the ropes, and Hercules ducks and does the double clothesline. DiBiase is selling A-plus here. Virgil's definitely very green in this match. There's a lot of action with Million Dollar Man for the first two minutes trying to get into the ring. He's not wearing a shirt either, which just gives a very macho look to him. Crowd is really into Hercules, which, again, I've just never been a fan of him growing up. Maybe because I, I, I grew up with wrestling in the starting in the 90s, and he was kind of uh, – sorry, early 90s, but he was kind of washed up by then. Virgil doesn't get any offense in here. It's an absolute squash in three minutes by Hercules. The only advantage Virgil can ever get is when DiBiase tries to get up into the ring. But Hercules looks really strong here. He does an awesome, awesome, awesome uh, power slam. Very similar to Bulldog where he kind of picks him up and carries Virgil around. I know Virgil's not the biggest guy at this time, but still kind of walk around with that guy. An awesome street of uh, feet of strength. Hercules is a beast at times with his uh, with his power. Uh, as the match is ending, but the, Jesse the Body even says that maybe it's time for Ver Million Dollar Man to get a new Ver bodyguard, which I'll bring up in the end again. So, big power slam for Hercules. He gets a one, two, three, and has won the match. Post match, he takes picks up Virgil and power slams him, or power presses him over the top rope and on DiBiase. A really cool spot, similar spot to Hogan did the Hefner referees. Uh, that's my kind of picture there when he was doing it. Uh, but a really cool spot. Then DiBiase is going to attack Hercules because he's pissed off. Hercules gets a big chain out and, and swings around. Really cool visual there of the big ring, the crowd def or the big swing. Uh, definitely a cool thing that he did there. Probably the coolest thing I think of Hercules when I think of back in the day. But he did, he did really good in this match. I thought it very, looked very strong. The crowd was very into him. Uh, after DiBiase decides not to go into the ring, he's out in the alley, the aisle with Virgil. He's kind of pushing him and kicking him, kind of saying, what did you do to me? I wonder if they were setting up the breakup angle here already, which is kind of weird. The body, Jesse, the body had also brought up that he might need a new bodyguard. So... Uh, pretty pretty fun match. I, the one thing I do notice that the crowd was pretty dead as Hercules was leaving, like the crowd was all sitting already. So maybe a little bit long after match segment for Hercules. Uh, but I thought the crowd was into him during the match. Maybe more so for, for him with DiBiase, but the crowd definitely got behind him. I don't know in the 80, 89 how much Hercules is really a, a strong face. Uh, but for right now, he's looking pretty strong. Looks pretty solid versus Virgil. And uh, a solid victory. And we'll keep moving on in Saturday Night's Main Event. I'll be back in a few matches to catch up with another classic Saturday Night's Main Event from November 1998. Thanks, and see you next time. All right. For this Saturday Night's Main Event, we get two sets of interviews from each dude. In the opening barrage of interviews, we've Andre and Bobby in backstage in front of a big Andre the Giant hand. Bobby shits on the holidays and say they're here to do a job, and that's to get the belt back where it belongs, around the biggest waste in the world. He does not say the Heenan family, and this shows you that Bobby loves Andre, because a lot of times a manager, especially Bobby, will say, that belt should be with this family, you know, or with me as a manager. But this is for Andre, right? And then Andre then says, I'm the champion. I want my belt, and I want it now. And in a really cool reciprocal sign of respect, when Bobby makes a little rhyme at the end of the promo, and uh, Andre takes his giant hands and rests them on Bobby's shoulders here. The same hands and the same motion that Andre uses to choke dudes out and kill some of the biggest wrestlers of all time, he here does in a way of respect and jocularity with Bobby. I just thought that was pretty neat. Randy's in the back with Liz and brings up David and Goliath, which is funny because I kind of brought that up the last time I talked about Andre and Randy. Two quick promos during the opening promo barrage. Before the proper promos, we get a recap of uh, Jake and Andre's feud and the heart attack angle, which kind of shows you how this match is going to end in the Saturday night's main event timeline. 
that the WWF has, the alternate timeline. In a funny line, Jesse says that Andre is not fighting a snake tonight. The only snake is going to be Wiz. Andre in his gear in the back with Gene and Bobby. Gene's trolling Andre here, says that he thinks he's witnessed a full-fledged phobia by Andre. Andre is incensed and goes to grab Gene by the neck, but Bobby's uh, cooler head prevails and he says, hey, Andre, chill a sec. Andre acquiesces. Bobby calls Gene a little troll for a smart-ass questioning of Andre's psyche here and says, do that shit again and you'll see what a true head shrinking is. So Bobby here mentions how Jack Tunney ripped Andre off. Gene says, Randy is getting stronger with each defense. And Bobby says, sure, Randy has momentum, but what happens when momentum runs into a giant wall? Andre here beats his chest as Bobby says that, and they head off to a lot of optimism heading into this match. A little jovial nature before the big match with Randy Savage. Bobby and Andre enter the ring with an incredible sound of an arena full of booing fans. As we cut to Randy and Wiz and Gene in the back, Gene and Wiz exchange holiday pleasantries, and Gene asks why risk it all against Andre. And Randy says he's doing that to be a great champion. He wants to prove that he's a great champion. He even mentions that Hogan did it, so he can do it, and he will do it. This is his motivation kind of for the match. We'll talk about that later. When asked about Heenan as a danger on the outside, Randy says Heenan is just a two-legged snake. Then he turns to Wiz and says... Isn't that funny, Elizabeth? <laughs> now get down the aisle. Um, even good guy Randy still really carries a lot of the insecurities and sad machismo inherent in his uh, domestic assault heel side. <laughs> so uh, you could make him a good guy, but he still acts that way to Wiz, and that's uh, and that's kind of lame. Back in the ring, Randy enters to the inverse of Andre with rousing cheers as his theme blares. Andre cold-bloodedly stares at Randy, and as the ring bell and as the ring bell chimes, Randy attacks. Now in this Saturday Night's Main Event universe, Andre attacking Liz from a little while back at the arena is not canonical and is not even mentioned. But in the true linear sense of the story, it does make sense for Randy to be super pissed and really want to attack Andre and hurt Andre, since Andre tried to murder Miss Liz. <laughs> But uh, it's, but even strategically, it's pretty damn smart to get uh, to get the jump on the big giant. Andre turns the tide on Randy immediately with headbutts and his over-the-hand chops. Savage is fighting back to no avail with uh, punching and kicking. Andre sinks in a really sick front face lock <laughs> uh, with some brutal knees to the face and, and gut of Randy while Randy's trapped in it. Really like that. In the corner, Andre does his glute slams. Randy gets his knees up, gets some offense in. Lots of back and forth here. Where lots of transitions. Andre uses his strap-assisted chin lock. The crowd is really pissed at this, and Randy fights him off a bit. Andre locks in a butterfly submission and rains down fists on Savage. Randy fights him off with some punches and some kicks. Andre's wearing Savage out with a leverage and like some isometric pressure on the arms here. He's really making Randy expend the energy to fight him. You know, he's not expending a lot of energy. He's making Randy burn up his energy fighting him. And that's a smart move for an older, aging giant, you know? Randy's tenacious. He's got tons of strikes. Andre keeps fighting him off, using chokes and strikes to kill Randy. But Randy will not stop. Two hands on the trapezius, kind of like he did to Bobby before. But this time, but here the intentionality is to kill Randy, to show how deadly of a move that is and how deadly Andre's hands are. Uh, double underhook submission from the front. Randy brilliantly drops and hits a chin buster on Andre, then runs full speed ahead, running double axe handle to Andre. Maybe this will change the course of the match. As Savage attacks more with his jabs, Andre cuts him off again with some choking. Another reversal, Randy just running at on. Randy running full speed at Andre and hitting him with double axe handles. Sabu, my cat, love that part, apparently. 
second rope at double axe handle again from Randy. Savage sees his opportunity here with an insane barrage of strikes. Andre is rocked by, his, by the ropes. Just at this moment, Weather Daddy Jake the Snake Roberts appears on the outside of the ring with a sack full of snake, and he hides the snake under the ring. Andre sees Jake, and Bobby jumps on the apron, and he's talking with Andre. Savage goes outside, and him and Jake are chatting it up while we go to commercial. As we come back from commercial, Randy runs full speed across the ring and clobbers Andre while he's strategizing with Bobby on the apron. Andre hits a big chop to Randy's chest, and there's something that the Andre chop is a move that I think should be sold better here, and really should have been sold better by dudes in the day. It's such a great move, and it's so loud. And he does it a lot, and guys, you know, uh, react to it. But it really should be a kind of leveling move, the way it sounds, and must just really fucking hurt and practically stop your heart. Criminally undersold move, I think, by Andre, Andre's opponents. Andre is obsessed and cannot stop thinking about the snake. Keeps telling Bobby to look for the snake. I think it's very prescient of Andre that he figured out that Jake hid the snake in the uh, the ring basement underneath. So, But this is really affecting him here as he can't stop thinking about it. And him and Randy just keep going back and forth. Randy fights him off. Andre takes control. As Andre's screaming to Bobby to look for Damien. And Randy's just using his speed and attacking Andre at every chance. Andre hits a huge double-handed headbutt to Randy here. And it looks like he lacerates him vertically right over his right eyebrow. Andre gets lacerated himself, I mean, from the headbutt. And Andre looks like he's very damaged here. Savage jumps out of the ring to chase Bobby who got a little close to Wiz. As Randy tries to enter the ring, Andre cuts him off and does that big slap to Randy's chest while he's, and he makes him flip backwards into the ring. Love when Andre does that. Andre's really selling the damage of the headbutt here. Really seems to have rocked him. Bobby eventually finds the snake, and Santa Claus is the sack over his shoulder and tries to get out of Dodge. Andre screaming, get that shit out of here. And what's in, this, what's in Bobby's way? Jake the Snake Roberts is back. He stops Bobby. And here we get to see the true magic of Bobby Heenan. As Heenan's in the ring, Randy cuts him off, clobbers him. Andre's by the ropes. Savage whips Bobby into Andre. Colliding, Andre gets rocked back in his Andre Christ pose and caught up in the ropes. Heenan bounces like three quarters of the way across the ring after connecting with Andre. And then Randy throws Bobby over the ring post, out of the ring. Sick bump by Bobby Heenan. What a fucking king, man. And at this moment, we get a double DQ. The bell rings and the match is over. Here's a, here's where the strange stuff happens here, where Randy just kind of ushers Jake into the ring. We get a close-up of Andre. He's bloody. He's banged up and he's stuck in the rope. Jake has a snake and, and just as he's about to throw it on Andre, Bobby luckily gets Andre out of the ropes and saves him before the uh, serpent attack. Jesse here on commentary, which... I believe correctly, calls collusion by Jake and Randy here. Bobby's consoling Andre on the outside. On the inside of the ring, Jake kind of smacks Damien like an asshole, and then Randy just grabs Liz and hoists him on his shoulders in a celebration. Vince says Jake wants Andre and makes excuses why this wasn't collusion while Jesse calls foul play. Now, the motivation here is really off for Randy Savage. Him calling Jake into the ring after Jake had cost Randy the match is kind of bullshit. It's kind of really antithetical to the earlier promo where Randy says he needs to beat Andre to prove he's the best, to prove he's better than Hogan. Randy's obsessions are Liz, the championship, Hogan, <laughs> being better, being the best, you know, the, the stuff that we always talk about with Randy. And here he's like, ah, that's fine. You cost me the match. Come on in and hang out with me. It's kind of bullshit. It's kind of character abandonment for this moment here that is really only there to set the stage for Jake versus Andre. Because Savage would never do that. Not the Savage that we all fell in love with. 
And here, the world champion is just kind of given a bullshit match to advance the Jake-Andre feud. And I don't mean a bullshit match in that it wasn't good, because I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was fucking awesome. But it, the outcome really didn't matter. Now, I love Jake and Andre. They're two of my all-time favorites. So is Randy, but just doesn't seem in character for Randy, if you ask me, for him to just be cool with Jake costing in the match. That said, super fun match. Just Andre taking control. Randy fighting him off, Andre taking control, Randy fighting him off, and then leading to the big angle. Tim Slomka here once again for Saturday night's main event from November 1988. Here for the Boris Zukov Hacksaw Jim Duggan match, uh, a flag match. So we get to a backstage interview with, with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's spending a lot more time talking about Dino Bravo. He really picks on both Dino Bravo's flag and the big Russian's flag. Um, we talk about how the match at the end, the, the winner of the match will get their flag raised up, just similar to Olympics, which is a cool idea. Definitely something very Jim Duggan-esque. So I, I like the way they're setting this match up. Uh, but interesting that he talks, spends most of the promo bashing Dino Bravo, more or less setting up that feud versus going after Boris Yukov. Uh, after the interview, Duggan comes out with his USA music instead of his standard uh, home music. Um Huge pop, as always, especially with the American flag coming out big. Uh, Boris, again, is a jobber in the ring. I kind of talked about this earlier with Virgil and Ted DiBiase in the ring, but Boris Vukov just looks like a jobber already in the ring with no no announcement. Uh, Vince McMahon does mention that after this, we're going to see Hulkamania's best, which I'm not sure what it is. The body starts off the match, kind of also announcing that Jimmy Hart he has a big scoop on Jimmy Hart of the Rougeau brothers. So already a minute into the match of a two-minute match, they spend time talking about the next segment rather than talk about the match. Um, this is match is two minutes and 27, 27 minutes, or two minutes and 27 seconds, so it's not the biggest match in the world. Um... There was a back body drop that the, the, the psychology, if you say that, of a two-minute match of the match was that there was like a psychology uh, that Duggan was trying to play with Boris Zukov. And one of them is that there was a back body drop where basically Zukov uh, sells it and hits Duggan in the face. And the angle was terrible of the camera angle. I'm pretty sure they both botched it. Uh, but then they go for it again, and instead Duggan moves out of the way and Boris falls on his face. And then similarly, Duggan goes for an elbow drop, but doesn't square him away and, and misses. So they kind of go for this like they've scouted each other a little bit. Uh, but that's the all the psychology of, of the match. In the end, we just get, uh, and I would just say that's a cool idea, but it just wasn't done smooth, especially on the back jotty drop. Uh, then we randomly get Boris biting Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the match. As I mentioned, there's not much ring psychology in this match. Uh, there's so much crowd sweetening during these matches. Something I've noticed a lot about Saturday's main events when he listen on headphones is there's just a lot of background crowd sweetening in the match. Pretty cool that I saw Tim White's the ref. I, I don't know if I've really noticed him yet in 88 or anything I've done. Uh, so pretty cool that we get to see him. And then we get the flying clothesline from Jacksaw Jim Duggan, a big body slant, and then a three-point stance. He got did like a flying three-point stance this time. Though, I've really never noticed him leaving the ground and kind of getting air on it. It was pretty awesome for a Hacksaw Jim Duggan match. So he gets a one, two, three, pretty short match. Burial of Boris Sukov, but he has already been buried for a while. And then we get the greats. Uh, American flag in the middle of the ring raised to the, to the ceiling. Pretty cool job the body does of really mocking Duggan and Vince McMahon during this, but not being anti-USA. The crowd's going crazy throughout it. Hacksaw's singing along, and I think did a really good job of picture in picture of the flag and kind of Hacksaw's face over it. Uh, I thought a really cool segment, a good way to use Duggan, good way to probably keep the crowd going. Again, Boris is a joke, so you can, can kind of 
take them out in two minutes. And then you get this pretty cool segment that probably keeps the crowd invested for um, the, the national anthem. So I liked it. It was fun. The in-ring was cool was not that great you know like i said a botch or two i did like the idea of the the uh psychology of that back body drop like scouting it and that but it just wasn't done smoothly or the camera angle was messed up and then i did love hacksaw jim duggan's three-point stance i think the best one i've ever seen him do so that was pretty cool finish um so fun fun little match you know if you got two minutes of your time in a, a saturday night's events that i've done two matches for him but pretty pretty cool matches i've seen so far and i watched the in-between andre and uh Macho Man, so I love love that as well. So good Saturday night's main event. We keep rolling along on Cronoso Monthly. I'm here every uh, every other month or every other week uh, or every couple weeks with Cronoso. Uh, I'm also on New Gen and a Mission on North South Connection with J- JP Justin Pratt. Uh, we're going from Brendan Shaw on Survivor Series 92, Brendan Shaw on Survivor Series 97. We just finished the Art Donovan Classic King of the Ring 94. We're really proud of that episode. So hope you can check it out. Listen, rate, review, North South Connection. Give us feedback. Again, I'm Tim Slompkin, my buddy JP on New Gen and Mission on the North South Connection, and we'll see you next time. All right, Cronoso, it is your fa- favorite duo here on this program, JT and Keithy Boy. Keithy, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, delightful. It's always exciting to get to talk to you uh, yeah. when we get to do these. It's always a good time. And this is a fun time frame that we're diving into. We're at the very end of 1988, early 1989. Uh, I-, I feel like it's an overlooked time frame because everyone just remembers like the mega powers, right, going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's other little things that are happening within the promotion, even at so the main much, event so level, so that much. are super exciting as well. Yeah, like this all stuff with Hogan and Bossman that we're going to get into, Savage and Bad News Brown. Like, there's mm-hmm. all these random things going on underneath, bubbling under the Mega Powers. Yes. And of course, the return of a very, very important uh, WWF superstar that we will see tonight. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> but right now, we're going to talk about we're in the middle of the Science Minute events, as you've heard so far, if you've been listening, uh, from November 2688. And we're going to cover the Brother Love Show segment. So, uh, Keithy, why don't we go ahead and get started here? What do you say about that? Oh, I love you. Yeah. Now, this is great because this, so this is from, like you said, the Saturday Night's Minute event. So, this recaps the whole interaction between Bossman and Hogan. And uh, having been reviewing this on GFA Live, uh, we have gone on, Petey and I have gone on endlessly about how every promo from this point forward, Hogan's carrying around these handcuffs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> including when he was talking, including when he started talking about Savage. He's still wearing the fucking handcuffs from Well, then they're for, Liz, they're for Liz at that point. That's right. Oh, hey, no. <laughs> so this is a great beat down. I mean, how many times does Hogan get his ass kicked on the Bro Love show? Is it just this and uh, Quake? Are there any other ones? It feels like he's always getting beat up on this show. Yeah, I feel like if there's anybody that took more abuse on this show than uh, Brother Love, it was Hogan, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I mean, if, if anything, I mean, even if it's just Boss Man and Earthquake, these are two historic beatdowns. Oh, yeah. The other most famous yeah. one's probably Martel blinding Jake, I would think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, because that's pretty much it. I mean, the whole interaction with, well, when Bossman turns face, it's not really a beatdown, but he kind of, it, it happens on Brother Love. Yes. So yeah. that's, that's And Warrior destroys the Brother Love set when that's he eliminates right. him. That's right. I love beatdowns on the talk show segments, don't you? I mean, so much more than the platform segments with me and Gene. I like a good beatdown on a talk show. Talk well, especially show when it's its own set and not like the modern ones that are in the ring. Yeah. Yes. Like I always think back of the uh, the beatdown on the the funeral parlor, the many beatdowns on the funeral parlor. 
Wait, were you a brother of guy? Did you, did you think he was effective? He's he was very effective. Yes, I mean, in a time when they were they needed a way to like enhance, uh, you know, move on forward to moving storylines forward. Brother Love was a great was a great foible for that. <laughs> I mean, and I like how they cut back. They're cutting back to Hogan and Mean Gene in the back He's of the watching, Senate, yeah. and Hogan's like, Rawr! like his eyes are already wide eyed, and and then it's Slick comes, happening. Slick comes out in like a proto Mister McMahon walk. He's not as uh, slicked out in this one, though. He's uh, more of a basic suit on. He does, yes. He's not, yeah. He's not as slicked out or as pimped out as Pimp Daddy. So, yeah. Well, business is booming, I guess, for the slickster anyway. So maybe because you know Akeem's on the on the. We talked about that mm-hmm. previous episode. Akeem's arrived. Yeah. Um, you know, boss man's cooking with some heat. So he's uh, maybe he's up in his suit game. You know, he's making would you, some extra scuttle. Would you say a little scuttle? Would you think that? So I think it's universal that 1989 is the year of Bobby Heenan. Would you say that 1988 is the year of Slick? Yeah, I think so. And I think the interesting part is when's the year of Jimmy Hart? Because you always think of him as like a top guy, but I feel like he doesn't really have a year where he's like the dominant manager. 85, I guess. But uh, by 86 is Bobby. 87's Bobby. I guess that's well, the closest to Jimmy, maybe. The closest is 87. 87 might be a toss-up only because, you know, he's, he has the Hart Foundation. He's got Honky. Yeah. You know, he kind of, doesn't he take over, doesn't he start managing Greg Valentine again? Basically, yeah. 87. Yeah, so maybe, I guess 87's his year. But Bobby's but, got WrestleMania 3. That's what I'm and saying. And the Andre it's, thing all summer. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's yeah. kind of like, it's almost a toss-up, but. I guess I guess it's always you know I mean he could be is is Jimmy Hart the Buffalo Bills of the uh, World Wrestling Federation? I think I think he's always number two because even yeah yeah, in '88 it's I mean Bobby backseats a little bit because DiBiase has Andre. Yeah. So yeah, but then but then Slick is the man this year. You know I mean by '88 he's lost Jimmy's lost. You know, he loses Honky halfway through the year as Mm -hmm. the champion. He loses the the Hearts aren't the champions anyway. He loses the Hearts altogether. Yeah. So yeah, I think that uh, eighty nine. You're back to Bobby because of the brain busters, and yeah. ninety is Bobby. I think still. Per- well, I guess perfect, maybe you got Earthquake yeah. in ninety, so maybe Jimmy's ninety. Yeah, yeah, because you could look and see like who's main eventing, and I would say the main event for the summer, well, main event for SummerSlam and Survivor Series is really Hogan and Earthquake. So yeah, yeah. but that's you could rough. argue eighty eight is Fuji. You could that's argue eighty eight is Fuji. Trick. Yeah, you could. Yeah. So maybe so. All right. So maybe we're running two managers. We get, you know, like top two dogs every year. Like there's two MVPs, like in baseball. You have, you know, you have your two MVPs, and I would say 88's probably, yeah, Fuji and Slick, and 87 might be Bobby and Jimmy, but 89 there is no other. It's just no. Bobby Bobby dominates 89. Bobby dominates. Bobby's the best. Yeah, you could argue. You could set the goal by saying, who does Hogan beat up at the end of the feud? At the end of a feud each year, right. that's that's where your top managers. <laughs> I mean, eighty nine, you could probably put Liz and Sherry in in there too. Sure, yeah, you could put. I would say Liz. She's managing the champion pretty yeah. much the entire year. Sherry's awesome. I think Sherry. Sherry is awesome. Yeah. All right, so Hogan's in there with Slick now. Mm-hmm. Brother Love doing just doing his usual shit stirring. Slick, uh, Slick is wearing a nice black tangle. My dad used to wear Kangles all the time. That was like my dad had like a thousand Kangles. It was awesome. I like the gray suit with the pink. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, that, that's a that's a progressive look for 1988. The pink tie and pink handkerchief. Sure, pink tie, pink handkerchief, and yeah, kind of a that's a white shirt, I guess. It could be just my me yeah. looking at it on the computer, but it looks like a white shirt. But it could be a very, 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 very light pink. I just find it funny that like Slick is in there trading barbs with Hogan. I know it's such like, a at no other point in either of these two yeah. men's careers would they ever interact. <laughs> no, this is this is it. Yeah, this is like his big mega run and he was good i mean it was believable sure was like he was good at stooging he could talk like he yeah. had a look he had a memorable look no he's a he was it's it's kind of sad that his trajectory went from being like one of the top managers at this point to kind of like really just i don't know like he never really achieved i mean and of course i'm talking about a guy who managed the model and the warlord and yet still he never really and power and glory, but he never really reached the uh, top echelon ever again as this. He's, he's no Bobby or no Jimmy. Slickster. I love Brother Love's, um, like, cut people off style. So it always pops me, you know, yeah. as they're sort of talking. Oh, Brother Hulkster! Until somebody steals the microphone from him. You listen to me, Brother. Hogan, Hogan could definitely preach when he wanted to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just think about, like, I just think about how none, these guys did all this stuff off the cuff. Like, none of them, none of them had writers. <laughs> no, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. It it's so just... funny to think of how, how, how amazing these promos were and, and just how, like, they just, none of them had anybody helping them, really. <laughs> well, they had complete ownership of their characters it's like any actor or anything you know it's like when you own your personality or character you can mm -hmm. live within that construct so yeah it makes it simpler like they're not playing anything crazy and the guys that were usually had a manager to talk to them. <laughs> so exactly right. when you have like four great talkers that could talk for 15 guys with the setup that they have with the managers <laughs> that's all you needed you didn't need everyone to be able to do it right mm -hmm. you need to do is like the big guys are going to talk just to yell for a you know, five seconds, and that was it. Or I can't yeah. take the money, you know. But the <laughs> funny thing is, is that there were a lot of guys who were labeled, like, that were saddled with a manager that could do it. Like, I know I've talked before about Perfect not really needing a manager, Rude not really needing a oh, manager. Yeah. Even guys like, you know, I would even say, like, Earthquake didn't even really need a manager because he could talk, you know, he could cut a promo. And But I never thought um, it hurt those guys. Like, Perfect didn't lack mic time because of Bobby. They just both no. got it. Yeah. I think it enhanced it because it's almost like you got two top dog assholes. The only guy that it really, I think it hurt is I think it hurt Rude a little because I think Rude never gelled with Bobby the way that like other people gelled with Bobby. So, and I think that it, it hurt him a little bit because he was just, you know, he never, he never let Bobby kind of right. work with him as well. So and now here, here's Hogan get ready to do the big dart throw with Slick. <laughs> yeah. Chuck him over the tarp rope and Slick loses his hat, and now, oh, Bruce Pritchard trying to attack Hogan with a microphone. 1988-89 Hogan, as blown up as he is, is not going to get a hurt by a little microphone tap. This, uh, so, I mean, it was a pretty straightforward segment. Like, Hogan and Slick just went back and forth. They're just really yeah. laying the laying the setup for the big Hogan boss man feud, which, yeah. you know, we don't really get a blow up till next May. Like, it goes no. a while. Yeah. Um, a lot of his mega powers, twin towers, woven into it. 
you know, and I think that's a debate for another day with the Twin Towers the right choice to be that top team in that feud. Was there a better option? Um, I don't that think could have so. been the top dog. I mean, Powers of Pain is the only one that really jumps to my mind that could have maybe been in that role. Uh, by the yeah, Twin Towers are good. I would say, and this is someone for someone who's like an all-time Akeem diehard. The only thing I could argue is maybe it would have seemed a little bit more badass or legitimate if it was one-man gang. Mm-hmm. Um, right, because as soon as Akeem comes in, he's like it's just a little goofy. You he's, know? he's yeah, he's a com- he's he's a character for comedic effect, and yeah, so and yes, Hogan, Hogan, and Savage. You know, it's it, you make a good point. I think the Powers of Pain would have been a great team for them because then you could have had that awesome exchange where it's demolitions fighting the towers right, the titles right. all the time. But I just, I mean, that doesn't that's not going to happen until Survivor Series, and that means. Yeah, you at gotta the Survivor get going. Series, yeah, at the Survivor Series, you're losing. That, well, and the thing that is, too, that well, I mean, I guess they could have done the double turn sooner, but um, the I don't think I think Bossman of the Four is the most the best guy to have a singles match on a big stage of the four of them. Yeah, I mean, Barbarian was great, but at this point, like Bossman was the one that was going to give Hogan the best sure. blow off match. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the bump at the end was awesome. He cuffs Brother Love to the top rope and throws him out, <laughs> and Brother Love's dangling. <laughs> I think I've heard Pritchard say like he hated this spot because his, his wrist was really was really hurting him. Like he, I think he kind of wished Hogan had like, you know, maybe had the chain a little bit longer because it's or maybe one. put out like the middle rope or something. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah that he's hanging funny and when he falls out, like his arm really yanks hard. So yeah, like you could you could tell that that's got to be painful. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, Hogan should have helped him out a little bit. But, geez, what a surprise. Hulk Hogan not helping anybody but himself. <laughs> what a shocker. All right, well, I hate, I hate this listen, man. Keithy, we'll be back within this Saturday's minute. we got more Hogan to come for us. So I know, I We're know, not going to say bye yet. Uh, we'll, no, be back. we'll be back in a few. We'll be back in yeah, a few. We will. Hey, everyone. It is the Down Under Thunder bringing you the last match of this Saturday night's main event. And my goodness, are we in for a treat. Because once again, I'm doing a Rougeau's match. You wouldn't believe it. Someone might think I've got a bit of a thing for the Rougeau brothers. Now, uh, you know, look, they're from Canada. I'm from Australia. We're from the other side of the world, but I kid you not, the Rougeos are fast becoming one of my favourite teams. This Cronoso journey has really brought them back to the forefront for me, and I've really enjoyed looking at these matches. And today, we have the fabulous Rougeo brothers in competition with the Young Stallions. Now, before the match starts, we're going to go back to the dressing room and Jesse the Body is there with not just Jacques and Raymond, but Jimmy Hart. And uh, Jesse says that he's got sources that are better than Geraldo. And uh, he's heard that there's a big secret to be revealed. And Jimmy Hart, in his most pre-prepared... Almost like he was reciting lines. Version of an interview. Jimmy says that they waited for Jesse to interview him to reveal it. And the big reveal is the Rougeos have moved to the United States of America. 
They've moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Now, now Chuck and Raymond do their best little uh, American accent impersonations. It's it's quite funny, but look, this is just this is just a little brief moment to to highlight that next stage of the gimmick that they're all American boys. And uh, and so it's time to go to the ring, but they don't have the music yet. Not yet. They're nearly there. This gimmick has come so far since we started this journey a few episodes ago with the uh, with the, some interviews and the Killer Bees angle. Um, and we're nearly at its completion. But right now we're not there yet. And there's no music, no great intro song for the Rougeos who come to the ring. The Young Stallions... Well, they didn't even get an intro. They're already in the ring. No one cares about them. That's pretty fair to say. No one does care about them. They really have dropped a long way in 12 months in this company. Um, yeah, This is pretty straightforward. It really is. It is nothing more than a dominant squash. Jacques starts with Jimmy Powers. Um Actually, Jacques, a really cool moment. Jacques concerned that the stallion's ring jackets are still on the apron. He wants them moved, and and so you know they they, they sort of shuffle around. Uh, Jacques lands a, a shoulder block. He does his reverse flip and drop kick. It's great little move and poses to the crowd. And Jimmy struggles shaking it off. Uh, he he grabs a, a headlock and and Jacques grabs the hair and backs him into the corner and. And does a couple of punches just the way heels do. They no clean breaks for Jacques Rougeau. Um, Irish whips reversed and Powers jumps up on the on the second rope and starts doing the punches to the head. But in this awesome moment, Jimmy Hart runs along and clips Jimmy Powers' knee with the megaphone, and the ref misses it. It's it's a great move, and uh, Jesse talks about the fact that the ref hasn't seen it. But the thing is, Powers doesn't really even sell the move like he it causes him to fall off the the turnbuckle but he doesn't sell it after that um Jacques quickly locks tags in Ray locks in an ab stretch and uh Ray does the the savot kick and then they do a double stomach buster uh, another tag back into Jacques and Jacques hits the flying back elbow um he does a reverse we we, we go for the Irish rip and and Powers reverses it and Jack goes up on the on the ropes and does the sort of the reverse cross body, but he misses it, completely misses it. And I love when Jack hits the mat and he sells that he's in pain. It looks great. Um, Powers gets the hot tag to Roma, who's done nothing all match. He comes in one clothesline to Ray, and then he does um, a power slam to Jack and drops a flying fist drop on Jack. Uh, then he does a drop kick uh, to Ray, and look, it's it's all going, but he goes for the pin on Ray, and Jack breaks it up. Jimmy Powers is in the ring. The, the ref's chasing him out, and, and the Rougeos hit that finisher. Jack sort of hits him up in like a Heart Foundation style, and uh, sorry, Ray picks him up a Heart Foundation style, and Jimmy, Jim, uh, Jacques jumps off the top rope hits that sort of sit-down splash, and they get the win. And like I said, it's just a squash match. It just accentuated the Rougeos. But, you know, I was a little disappointed because we didn't really get to see all of the Rougeos' antics. We didn't get to see sort of the hugging and the and the complaining. We didn't get to see the, the behind-the-referees-back double-team moves and all that. So absolute squash city, you know, it, it just accentuates 
highlights that the Rougeos are a strong team moving up the ladder and the Young Stallions absolutely suck, which they do. So, look, you know, yeah, that's uh, that's really, that's it. That's all the match is, just a quick squash. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess it's time to go and do some more interviews. And I'm going to be back with you in just a few minutes. Cut to the back. Jesse's in the back with Andre and says, Jake cost you the title, Andre. We get the widescreen close-up of Andre's face. Battle damaged. I love it so much. Crazy eyes. Andre speaks of Jake. He says, yeah, he cost me a lot because I got that champion down. And Jake, you will pay for it. You will pay for your interference. And don't bring that thing in the ring, which is great. Andre has tons of confidence here in this promo. Jesse says, I can't believe... You were afraid of snakes. Like, what the fuck, Jesse? You're trying to get murdered, and he almost does. Andre snaps. He grabs Jesse by the lapels. He shakes him, and he screams, I'm not afraid of this snake. And then he immediately calms himself a bit and quietly, but still gravely says, I'm not afraid of that snake. Maybe telling himself a bit here too, you know? But Jake, come in that ring, and you fight me anytime you want, and fight like a man, he screams. And then back to quiet, and ask the others that I put down. Ask them how I did that. And you'll see. You're welcome anytime you want. Jesse interrupts again. Andre just grabs him and screams, shut up. (laughs) And then he screams, Jake, you're welcome anytime, anywhere. And then Andre laughs, the insane laugh, with his maniacal smile and those insane eyes. And it's over. Beautiful, next level Andre promo here. The intensity mixed with a bit of vulnerability and just a hint of his ego constantly coming through. And it's like when you're the giant, it can't be cool for you to have your weaknesses exploited and advertised and exposed. So of course he's pissed. Of course he's not going to admit it. He's the giant and this is something that people can use against them and he's fucking pissed and he wants to kill Jake. I mean, also the guy gave him a fucking heart attack, so he wants to kill him for that too. (laughs) Real quick, then we get Jake in the back with Gene. Jake says Damien's Andre's Achilles heel. Jake says... That a man's strength is his mind and his ability to think. But animals feel fear in something. And that fear will allow Jake to take advantage of Andre. Jake says he will not stop until him and Damien have totally consumed Andre the Giant. This is in a totally different tone and demeanor by Jake. Very Jake-like, very quiet, very controlled. A great example of one of the most well-deservedly praised promo dudes of the era doing his thing. You talk quiet, so people got to lean in and listen to what you have to say. And Andre, who I believe is the most underappreciated promo of his era, he staggers his speech, drawing you in and then lashing out and screaming and scaring you. Kind of like the band The Pixies or their biggest copycats Nirvana, where loud, quiet, loud, you know, oscillating in your delivery, vacillating to express the emotions that Andre's feeling. While Jake here is cool, calm, and collect. Andre has been unhinged for a while now. And this story is really part of him spiraling downward since before WrestleMania 3. And he keeps going down as his uh, madness is consuming him in the final years of this era of his career. One of the greatest careers of all time. And we're just watching him. And this Jake thing, a near-death experience, is one more thing just eating away at this giant This is masterful shit from everyone involved in this match and the promos. Even if the logic of the Jake Savage stuff, it's weird. Everyone here is firing on all cylinders in what they're doing in the ring and on the mic. You get your Saturday night's main event alternate timeline for sure here, but can't complain about what I got to see on the TV. Uh, Five stars. My name is Rocco Martone. I say, check it out. 
Hulkster and Mean Gene. We're back. Keithy and JT. Back with the Hogan promo. Gene with the turkey jokes. I'm guessing this is the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, Judge Hogan? Judge Hogan, right, because we got the get the prison guard. Now we get the judge. He's the judge, jury, and executioner. Mean Gene should have opened it with, like, I hope you're proud of yourself. This is a perfect time, man. Just, you know, Hogan brought in Gene. What's he going to do? This is It's a typical Hogan science management promo where he does a million puns about the topic that he's doing. He's fighting hockey. He's making a million, you know, Motown puns or whatever, rock and roll puns. Right. He's fighting boss man. So this is like a million law, order, and justice, you know, mm-hmm. judge and jury puns. Mm-hmm. Your typical Hogan, fired up. He didn't have a lot of... He, he didn't love it. Jesus Christ. It was a gas chamber. I'm going to send you on a train to Auschwitz. Um, I mean, it, he didn't have a lot of Akeem jokes, but that's probably because he didn't really know what part of deepest, darkest Africa he was yeah, It's probably about. best, honestly, that he avoided that topic. <laughs> you gonna send you back to Johannesburg? Yeah, probably for the best. Stay yeah, yeah. Stay away from that one, Hogan. So, I mean, look, if you're staying up till 1 a.m. for this, you're probably a little disappointed. But it's a great science made event for this edition. But there's more to come on this Cronoso, Keithy, including more of me and you, buddy. We are not done. We'll be back. Hold on. If you're staying up till one o'clock in the morning to watch that Hogan promo, you're doing about as much cocaine as Hulk Hogan was doing in that promo. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. back. We'll be back. Cronoso listeners, you have made it to this part of this MSG house show where you have a women's match. So here's your token woman. Her name is Jennifer Smith. That's me. I'm here with my friend, Logan Croslin. How are you, Logan? I'm doing well tonight, Jenny. How are you doing? I'm good. That was a good intro, wasn't it? That was great. Fantastic. All right. I didn't start the match, so I hope you didn't. I did not. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Let's start the match. Three, two, one. Play. All right. Yeah. So uh, there was a Sherry match on the uh, list for this month. So mm. I immediately, I almost jumped the gun because we were like the third pick, but I almost just went ahead and said, I know the two people ahead of us aren't going to pick this. So just give us the Sherry match. Cause I mean, can we just make that a rule across the entire draft? Every exactly. Time? Well, I, ha- I hate to tell you this, but I think this is one of her, uh, one of one of her last ones. Well, that's okay. Here comes Rockin' Robin. Yep. The worst uh, God Bless America singers, or American oh, yeah. singers at <laughs> WrestleMania history. With oh. Brotherhood. <laughs> um, Bless her heart. But, but yeah, this, uh, she had just, uh, on TV-wise, she had just won the uh, the title, so. 
Uh, it just aired on Prime. It says Primetime Wrestling on November 8th, 1988. So, oh, God. Yeah, Sherry nice. does not fuck around. She jumped her before the bell. Yeah. Poor Robin. And she stripped that title off, too. Mm-hmm. They, they built her from Louisiana. I'm pretty sure she yeah. is, like, Alabama through and through. I'm pretty so sure, I don't, too. I, I don't really know. I don't really know about all that, but um, she had actually beaten Sherry for the title, so I think this is kind of a rematch situation. Sherry's pissed, big mm. time. I, not I, a fan of what she's wearing. Really. Yeah, these I'm are not. these are uh, pretty poor costuming. Uh, yeah, I don't like this. It's like a blue polka dotted sort of one piece with white tights. She looks like. I don't even know. She's like wearing like the hot uh, lifeguard outfit. Yeah, wearing like dancing leggings under them. So I don't really know what's yeah. going on. I guess it would be okay without the leggings. Um, yeah, I, was, I think this was kind of throwing off. I like the white boots at least. Mm-hmm. Now, Rock and Robin looks all right. Yeah, she's kind of got that Texas vibe to her. She's got the mm-hmm. tassels on her boots. That's because a pretty purple color she's wearing, too. Mm-hmm. Periwinkle, even. <laughs> Periwinkle. <laughs> One of my favorite colors, just because of the name. <laughs> but yes, Rockin' Robin is uh, Jake the Snake Roberts' sister, I believe. So. Oh, okay. And I Sam think I Houston. did know that, yeah. And then her and, Sa- her and Sam Houston are brother and sister, too. So um, she's all in that fucked up family known as the Roberts, so... Sherry looks so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were kind of talking pre-pod. I think this is I mean, this is probably one of her last messages, but this is in the dying days of the women's division. Uh, Rock and Robin is the last champion before they bring it back in 93. Mm. Uh, so she actually, they actually don't officially deactivate the belt until 1990. So she's champion for almost two years. <laughs> Which is but they just, why did they phase out the women's division? I just it wasn't a huge draw back then. I don't think, yeah. and it was. I think they learned that Sherry was kind of good as that in that manager role because she's going to take that on in the mm-hmm. coming year. So, um, when Macho goes heel, she's going to start becoming a manager, and they, I think they saw that she fit really well in that, and she was really the only one that had much steam. So. Mm. Um, I, I really like her in the ring, though, so this yeah, it's a little disappointing to hear. She does have a mixed tag with Macho at WrestleMania 6, mm-hmm. but we're, we're a good bit away from that. But we'll get that when it comes around, don't worry. Yeah, we'll, we'll grab that up. But unless one of the Macho fans grabs it up. No, nah, we need to get it so I can do my Jesse Ventura impression. <laughs> we know our strengths here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Did they just say their combined weight is 450 pounds, Gorilla? (laughs) There's no way. (laughs) Dusty's at least 350 by himself. Are you (laughs) telling me Sapphire's only 100 pounds? (laughs) That's one of the best. Yeah, we need to get an early pick on that one. We need to work our magic with uh, Mr. Gray. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Slot in the DMs. WrestleMania six. Give us give us number one pick. This has been oh pretty good. Oh. <laughs> Sherry just 
<laughs> kicked herself off of feet. <laughs> big time busting of the ass. That there. was great. Yeah, this has been a lot more physical than I would have probably expected time. it to be. Man, I know Sherry's kind of stiff uh, for the most part. So, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, Looks she's been pretty stiff in this one for sure. Robin's fun. Yeah. I think she was supposed to kind of be like a little bit of a high flyer. So she's a little quicker and faster and more agile than a lot of the women at this time. I'm pretty sure. Right. What, didn't we watch her in something? I think she was in that Survivor Series match that we watched. Right. That's right. From 87. So um, look at me was, vaguely remembering a match. There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was, she was newer at that point. So she was. Um, I, yeah. I could tell. Not, I remember her being fun, but green. Yeah, she wasn't quite as quite as established at that point, but obviously now she's the top face going up against the top heel here. She's tapping out. It's over. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Oh. Uh oh. Inside cradle. <sighs> trying to figure out who this ref is. Not, not one I recognize. I did not look to see who the uh, commentating team was tonight, but I can only hope that it's the cavalcade of fuckheads that it was last time. Tron Garden, Superstar Billy Graham, and Lord Alfred Hayes. So I think we actually got the only match from this uh, MSG, so I think we're tossing to some other TV show okay. on our next match. This must be an important match or something, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. Getting some time. Yeah. It's like the co-main, I think, based on time left in the show from where we're watching. Probably Savage and somebody in the in the main event. Yeah, this is this is getting a lot more time than I'm sure most women's matches at this point did. And they, they've been really going after it, too. <laughs> like, they haven't stopped. Yeah. That sure was a way to get around yeah, an Irish whip. She just kind of dove under the bottom rope. That was pretty great. She's a genius. <laughs> love her. Uh oh wedgie. Big time. <laughs> That's why be. she's wearing those, those leggings. <laughs> she's got to have swamp ass in that outfit, <laughs> She's got the she's got the swim trunks over the tights. <laughs> I like how she kicks out with her leg all the way up. <laughs> she's got to get all that momentum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she just, <dies>. she just <laughs> she's like, you're not gonna hit me. I'm not gonna do anything cool. I'm just gonna fall on the mat. Yeah, Yosey, you gotta love her effort level. She's just like, and I'm just gonna fall, let you fly dive out, out of the way. <laughs> but yeah, just that—that that was great. <laughs> this is definitely a Jenny fighting style. No, oh, yeah, it's the kind of wrestler I'd be. Mm -hmm. You just see oh! somebody. Oh, oh God. Jesus, these punches. <laughs> oh my god. Right in the right in the jaw. Oh, they uh -oh. are knocking the fuck out of each other. She's giving it back too. 
Her last one was kind of weak, but before that, she okay, was this is a shoot fight now. Oh, now now it fight. is. Now I think they got her. mad. I think yeah. they got mad in the course of the match. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was punching her in the titties there a minute ago. She was. Oh, she did through the ref away. Fuck you. Oh, no. Get out of my way, bitch. Why does the ref look like a Mario brother? He kind of does, don't he? Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, blame. One, two, three. That's it. Oh, the finish can fuck off, but that was badass. (laughs) It kind of fit the narrative. Like you said, they, they kind of went all out. So um kind of makes sense that it ended on kind of a surprise. I would have liked yeah, something a little sexier too. But, yeah. I, I, I was not expecting a little hidden gem. I don't even know. Is it a hidden gem or not? But uh, that Probably was Probably not tremendous. to most people, but that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the tiny ass belt that they just gave but That belt is horrible. <laughs> Yeah, the I guess AEW. a tiny belt for for the ladies, mm-hmm. a mini yeah. belt. Yeah, the original AEW women's title was pretty small, but that I think that beats it by about a thousand percent. So that yeah, one was she's, she's, miniature. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was great. That was very fun. All right, well, uh, before we move on to the next match, what do you got to promote? Um, here on the North South Connection, we got linking up luchas. Uh, that is a Lucha Underground pod. Um, we'll be recording the next episode of that coming up pretty soon. And then uh, Talking Docs is a show that I do with you. Both of those two shows I do with you. So there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. There you go. Uh, as for me, I got a whole month of Freak Out Drive In uh, coming to every Wednesday in the month of October. So please listen to that. And even if it's past October, you can still listen to it. And um, that'll be great. Uh, follow me on Twitter, X, whatever, at Jenny Position. Enjoy the next match. Bye-bye. Hollywood Dave, we have Bad News Brown on the Brother Love Show with Jack Tunney. What's the, what's the haps with this, brother? Well, we got bad news there, but we got good news that I'm right back here with Rock and Ryan or Rebel Ryan, whatever you want to call yourself. Or whatever I want to call you. But uh, yeah, Bad News Brown, he's on the Brother Love Show. This is the weekend after the 1988 Survivor Series. So we're already seeing right. a little heelish macho man right there. His interview with Jesse the Body Ventura after Survivor Series was over. But, uh, you know, we're, we Bad News was working house shows either with Hogan or challenging for Savage's belt this time. So they wanted to heat up those shows. So what better way to do it than this? So what happens is, you know, Brother Love comes running out to his music. Vince calling him fat. He can't believe that he can hop up onto his podium. And, you know, that's always funny because, you know, those two are, are boys, you know, Pritchard and, and Vince. So in hindsight, looking back on that, it's, it's always funny them taking digs at each other. <clears throat> but uh, what happens is, like, there's a meme that goes around uh, social media that uh, if you, Jack Tunney, it's a picture of Jack Tunney. And you say, when this guy come on TV, some serious shit was about to cut, go down. So when you heard, yeah. So when you heard he's the guest on Brother Love, like, uh oh, something's gonna happen here. We're gonna have an angle. So um, uh, Brother Love's, you know, berating uh, Jack Tony, whatever, you know, just doing the regular healer stuff. Then all of a sudden, Bad News Brown uh, walks onto the set, and he wants to know why, since he won the WrestleMania Four Battle Royal, 
He's been undefeated. He's uh, beaten. Uh, he's won a SummerSlam match over Ken Patera. He's beaten Bret Hart. He's you know he's he's, he's undefeated. You know, not, he's lost to Hogan. You know, on house shows and stuff, but uh, and Savage. But you know, house shows don't count. He's undefeated for uh, superstars wrestling audience. So, um, you know, he's saying why is Randy Macho Man have privilege? And I think he was maybe starting to think going into a uh, race. But then he goes, oh, wait, never mind. It's not the privilege of Randy Savage. It's that Miss Elizabeth, isn't it? She's doing favors for you. So I remember hearing at eight years old the word. I mean, I, I knew what I knew what sex was when I was eight years old. But um, I didn't know the favors like that. The term was, you know, that term was used used for that. So I remember like asking like my family, like, Oh, Miss Elizabeth, I would, just go, I would watch wrestling in my basement and tape it and stuff Saturday morning. Upstairs, like, oh, um, Bayless Brown said Miss Elizabeth's doing favors for Jack Tunney. Like, what's she going food shopping for him and stuff? So, yeah, <laughs> they're like just laughing at me. Picking like, up the uh, groceries. Yeah, like taking out his garbage. Like, like, what, that's just, like when, when someone asks me for a favor, it's like, take out the garbage, dude, you know? So, uh, yeah, I didn't catch on to that. But don't you think that's a little heavy for 1988 WWF suggesting that Miss Elizabeth is either sleeping with or pleasuring Jack Tunney for, you know, cause look, look at me. I, I was a, you know, I have older siblings. I was around a lot of old, older people. So I was pretty, I knew a lot of things. Kids in the eighties watched HBO, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But even me, it went over my head. So what do you, what do you think Ryan about, about uh, the, this, this angle, the situation, like, and Elizabeth was held in such a, uh, like a, such a classy lady. She was, you know, she was supposed to be. So uh, it was really, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't know if this angle works for me. I think maybe they could have gone a different direction for it for uh, 1988 WWF. Because uh, God bless Because obviously I didn't get it, and my family didn't want to tell me. You know what I mean? What 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 it was? You know what I mean? What he what he was re- referring to? But um, yeah. Well, before I, I get, before say, I get uh, to the next part, what do you what do you think? I would say it was a it's a little heavy, but it's true to the characters. The classy Miss Elizabeth. Is getting turned on, but that bad news Brown, he's going where he had to go to yeah. get the attention of the macho man to get his ultimate goal of a title shot. Absolutely. And Jack, Tunney, Jack Tunney was in his way and he had to go to mysterious fucking roots to get there. And, and uh, if he had to get a little vulgar and had to break the rules on TV, then so be it. I just meant that, that like, you know, 65% yeah. of the audience were kids that weren't going weren't gonna to catch on to the angle. What, what, what but it's kind of it's kind of yeah. like Shrek, where they can throw the adult humor out at the Who? time. And uh, the kids won't get it, but the adults will. You know what I mean? Oh, kinda Shrek, like Shrek. Yeah. Uh, Donkey, uh, you never heard of him? No, I'm kidding. But, uh, no, I saw a couple of them in the theater. But, um, in theater? Well, yeah, yeah. What was I going to say? Um Actually, this feud this is this uh this not it's almost December it's Thanksgiving weekend, so um but this feud with Savage the matches actually go on almost up until WrestleMania five so it's heel versus heel because Savage turns on Hogan in the main event on NBC uh it was February third that year of eighty nine, but those matches were still booked so there's a lot of heel versus heel. Uh, title matches of uh, Macho Man Randy oh, Savage against Ben Brown. Yeah, very good. Uh, a couple of them could be. There may be one. I think it was after the main, the NBC main event that was in Hamilton, Ontario, and it was like a street fight or something. And it could be found on one of the Coliseum videos. It's either right before Savage turned, 
or right after. But but there definitely matches that took place uh, around this time. And back to the, the segment, how about putting his hands on Brother Love? I as eight year old kid, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, not Brother Love, I'm Jack Tunney. As an eight year old kid, I I did think like, oh my god, like no one's ever touched Jack Tunney before, like. This is, you know, this, this he's going to be, we're not going to see Bad News Brown for six months. He's going to be suspended. But obviously you can touch Jack Tunney. <laughs> it's the only time it's ever, has it, the only time that, that ever happened? Has he ever got worked over before? I don't believe so. I don't know. I guess we we'll find out through our journey through Cronosa. I mean, how, uh, how wouldn't I know that? I know Vince got hit by the chair by Piper with the flare angle in 91. I know Gorilla got, uh, when he was a president, he got Vader bombed a few times. I don't, yeah, no, I think this is, I don't think uh, Tony ever, um, uh, unless I'm just having a brain fart, I don't, I don't think Tony was ever roughed up, uh, besides this one right here. Well, we'll have to let us know. Well, that's what we got here on the Brother Lug segment. A pretty controversial, in a way, with Elizabeth and right. the right. innuendos and whatnot, and a straight-to-the-point book in the territory here. We got to book the next three to four months with this angle where Bad News and Macho hit the ground running on the house shows. So pretty effective, memorable angle, for sure. I believe so, yes. Cool. All right, Hollywood Dave, where can, where can the people find you? I don't know if we've ever plugged. If there's any single ladies out there and they want to catch Hollywood Dave, where can they find you? Well, there's a couple of you. You mean where you can find my other podcast or where you can find me out in the bars, dude? Both. Both? <laughs> well, I don't know how many people are listening from the New Jersey area, my man, but uh, there's a place called Sean's Crazy Saloons, one block that way. And the Snug Harbor is one block the other way. So you could probably find me at either one of those. <laughs> and what, and and what if, not, I'm, if not, I'm, D- I'm Dave Rollins on uh, Facebook and um, HDR237 on Instagram. And uh, and of course, of course, the great the great Steve Bennett, uh, my co-host, my tag team partner on the 24-inch podcast on the Sportscasters feed. But unfortunately, you can only hear my voice on that one. And we're still- this one. <laughs> and you're still living the Hollywood gimmick? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to tone it down a little bit, to be honest with you. Trying to tone it down a little bit. But um, we got to see what I ingest first to, for Hollywood to come out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Hollywood. The amount. Well, the amount. Love you, brother. Catch you on the love next one. Love you too, Rockin' Ryan. Always a pleasure to have me on here. I'm, I'm more humbled than the Iron Sheet could ever make me for you to have me on your show. Cronosa. <laughs> Love it, buddy. We'll see you on the next one. I'm you got it, dude. See you in a little bit on this one. Ooh, all right. I like it. I think you're going to see my face, Jack. Hey, yo. Yeah. <laughs> all see right. You, buddy. you got it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this section of this week's Chronoso. I am your host for this section, Mr. Luke Jennings, the voice of the Memphis Continental Wrestling Cast over on the Place to Be Wrestling Network. And for this uh, match, we are joined by the one and only Keith Langston. Hello, Mr. Langston. Hey, Luke. How are you, buddy? I am doing very well, thank you, on this. Uh, For me, it's a Saturday evening for you. You're uh, still got some daylight and you're enjoying your afternoon. Uh, yes, just a little bit. So a little bit, a little bit more light. And then soon enough, I mean, if we did this like two months from now, we would be both be sitting in the dark. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's talk about but it's all good. Six here, so, yeah. Yeah. So I am ready to I'm ready to get into this. As you know, uh, I am a huge fan of the one true king, 
And I am not talking about uh, Charles. I am talking about King Haku. So, yes, today's uh, or our match we're watching today is Haku, or sorry, King Haku versus Hercules from the Superstars of Wrestling, uh, the twenty sixth of uh, November. So we are a couple of days past Survivor Series eighty eight. Ding, ding. That's right. Shout out there, shout out there, Petey, and you over there on GFA. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, sir. Yes. Ding. All right, cool. So this, um, just a quick note on this, uh, this, this, sorry, this episode of Superstars. It was the infamous Bad News Brown Jack Tunney brother love show, mm-hmm. where uh, Bad News Brown uh, flew some allegations towards Mister Jack Tunney, and then got physical with him as well. We also saw uh, Jake Roberts going up against John Latto. Mr. Perfect defeating David Sudermeyer, uh, the Ultimate Warrior defeating Barry Horowitz, Rick Rude defeating Billy Woods, uh, the Young Stallions, Paul Roma and Jimmy Powers defeating Bubba Kirk and Max McGive, and the Big Boss Man defeated David Isley. This show was taped on the 25th of October 1988 in the Baltimore Arena. Uh, famous for being the home of King of the Ring 1994. Mm. How much does that go away? <laughs> um, this weekend elsewhere, it's the um, the weekend they're showing the infamous Dusty being spiked in the eye angle over an NWA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really else much happening around the rest of the wrestling world this time. Um, there is a show in Madison Square Garden um, on this day. But nothing really exciting happens. Uh, I think one of the matches was Akeem versus SD Jones. So that's wow. the state. That's the state of wrestling as it is in 1988. <laughs> that is a man in any arena in America. Uh, yeah, definitely. Damn, yeah. Damn, Luke, you did your homework on this. Uh, this, this oh yeah. Sad, and, um, this very sad weekend in professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> and something else I found uh, quite sad. I had to look to see what uh, wrestlers were uh, famous or uh, came from Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, out of the Seven that I found, five of them have passed away. Um, uh. That being Max Muscle, uh, Axel Rotten, Hack Myers, Joey Mags, and Shane Shamrock. Uh, the two that are still alive are Rich Swan and uh, someone who many people would want to be dead is Ian Rotten, um, infamous for IWA Mid South. Uh, he's infamous <laughs> for quite a few things allegedly as well. So, but yes, uh, Baltimore, Maryland hasn't got a, uh, a great uh, place in wrestlers' hearts. No, but, uh, well, not for do? not for not for wrestling or not for wrestlers who were born there, I guess. But still, still a good place. Everybody loves that Baltimore Arena. Everybody loves that. Uh, you know, there's some some interesting things have happened over the years in Baltimore. But uh, I would be remiss if we didn't throw a shout out to Petey Winson and his Baltimore Orioles. Oh yeah, that, definitely. As yes. I believe yes. that, as I believe this this will be dropping, they will be. Who knows where they're at in the uh, current, uh, you know, American League series of baseball? So uh, we'll see. Get go. I'm going for the. I'm pushing for the Orioles. Orioles yeah. and Braves in the World Series towards the end of October. That's what I'm pushing for. So, yes, everything's uh, heating up over there at the minute with to, to do with the baseball. Um, yeah. As Did we you get a chance? This. Do you ever get a chance to watch any baseball? Like I know, like I know, like um, but the Yankees or the Red Sox or something went out and played in like London. I think. Uh, yeah, we get we get a game. I think they've now started to get a game over here every year. It's not yeah. as big as NFL. Um, the NFL no. is on is on Sky Sports every every weekend. The yeah. baseball. Um, I watch it. On, I watch clips on YouTube because obviously 
most of the time it's on. It's on at like one or two o'clock in the morning over here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I watch um, clips, um, but you because it happens. It's like every day you sort of you watch it and then you forget to watch it for a couple of days and then they've there's been a massive that's, score and stuff. But that's, I follow that's it. That's how it happens over here. We you know we it's 162 games. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a very it's a very large commitment. I mean. What's uh? I mean, what's the what what's the what's the team that you follow in in football? Um, football. my local football is football. Yeah, in football, oh, your football. No, no, no your football. Yeah, sorry. Uh, my local team is Norwich City. Uh, they're thirty miles down the road from us. So now, um, how many how many games like a season do they play? Uh, the league they're in, which is the league below the Premier League, they play forty five, and then if they get into the playoffs. Um, so there's the t- there's 24 teams in the league. Yeah. Top two go up automatically, so they'll go at the Premier League automatically, oh. and then uh, three, four, five, six will then do playoffs. So okay. three plays six, four plays yeah. five. Yeah. And then the winners of that go to Wembley. Um, it's called like the biggest game in the world because if you go up to the Premier League, you're sort of guaranteed 170, 200 million pounds. But that's wow. purely few like sponsorships, TV deals, yeah, 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 stuff like that. So it ranges from forty-five to forty-eight games. But our wow. season starts end of July, beginning of August, and will stop in May. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, but we stop. Oh, wow. So we'll. So if you're in the Premier League and the the Championship, you'll yeah. stop whenever England play. Yeah. So they England will play September. October, oh wow, uh, March. So there's there's yeah. always gaps. They don't play yeah, yeah. constantly, but they'll play. Um, you can be playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday for for months. But they get paid a lot of money for it, and but they still whinge and cry about having to play of for co- well, yeah, 60 every minutes, ninety minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we have. I mean, baseball players here. It's like they're they're like the fragilest people on earth. I mean, you know, they play for like one yay, and then they get. Pitchers, it's always pitchers get blisters on their fingers, and that's like the big thing is they cry about is they're like, I got a blister on my thumb, and it's like, yeah, so what? Big deal. I've been working with a bad back for like thirty five years. Go out yeah. there and work. So, but yeah, no, it's that's how it is. I think with all sports, but um, yeah, I mean, there's good acting in uh, in soccer. I, I love oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I love the acting. The acting in soccer is very comparable to the acting in basketball. And uh, and and the NBA, those guys are just as you know they fall and they're like, "What? What happened? What happened?" So yeah, but we have a lot. Of... <laughs> oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. We have um, like local football around here, so they like yeah. every little village or town will have its own football club. Oh yeah, yep. In a league, and then mm-hmm. but you see the the way the Premiership stars play, how they fall mm-hmm. over like in a yeah. breeze. It, yeah. it filters down to like the the non-league <laughs> stuff. It's it's stupid, really. <laughs> And the, and the reason why I'm throwing all this nonsense out at you is because I'm sure this match is going to be just a stellar, you know, uh, five stars, you know, Dave oh, yeah, Meltzer definitely. ranked it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to talk about this match, I guess we can start the match and start talking about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like I said, we are uh, the 26th of November. We are the... We've got uh, Jesse Ventura and McMahon, Vince McMahon on the call. There's a uh, stunning Saturday Night's main event logo in the uh, in the oh, cra- yeah. in the uh, upper echelons of the stadium. 
I gotta think if this is that if this is that run because I know Pete and I have talked about this probably we probably remember us watching this for some reason. But... Yeah, you covered this on episode one forty one. Uh, yeah, I oh. did the research on that as well. Oh, I thank you. Wow. And uh, I know, <laughs> I wonder if this was, uh, yeah, I wonder if this was, oh, so this must have been that run where they just, they didn't take, the, yeah, they probably didn't change any of the stuff we had talked about that. I mean, that's the, yeah. that's one of the things is that we, we that the wrestling is almost the, the backdrop for uh, what we're, the nonsense that we talk about. But uh, no, I mean, this is, yeah, this is right. This is like prime, prime Haku, prime Ted DiBiase. Yeah. You know, yeah, the Ted DiBiase, yeah, Hercules feud just going on. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, you better get up and show respect for uh, for the one true king. And hey, outcomes <laughs> running. They've even got the Saturday night's main event uh, apron still on. They haven't even changed the apron. <laughs> no. But this would have been a sweeps. This would have been a sweeps week. So that's would have been why this is a, a big feature matchup on Superstars because they, yeah. they always do that during the features. I always liked I always liked Hercules with the chain, you know, whipping it around and possibly hitting somebody with it. So yeah, I never I saw I never really saw a lot of Hercules. Um, I got into wrestling nineteen ninety when I was four, and one of my first videotapes I had was the the classic double uh, WrestleMania four tape. And oh yeah, I saw Hercules then against Warrior, and yep. then and then at the same time I was watching the. You know, so I was watching Survivor Series 1990, um, yes, kind of live. So I was watching him with Power and Glory as well. So I was seeing two different types of um, Hercules. Yes, that's right. I mean, it it was it was a totally different. I mean, even his heel run prior to the 90s was different. Like, I think when I first was introduced, when I first was introduced to him, about kind of around the same time. Um, and I was a little older, but like I had just, you know, I had my brother had kind of introduced me to wrestling just kind of actually by accident. I think I wanted to hang around with them and he was watching something with his friend and I ended up watching it with him. And I was like mm. obsessed after that. But yeah, my local video store had all the tapes, all the best ofs, all the all the Coliseum videos. And I went out and I immediately like ate everything up. So I got to see a lot of Hercules in, you know, both his previous form and then when he was the babyface Hercules. And I'll tell you, I loved 89 Hercules. I thought, I love 89. 89 is probably, probably my favorite year. Um, if not, it's my second favorite year, only to like 1991. But 89 is yeah. a great year, so. Yeah, it's and very Hercules good, yeah. Great man, yeah. But Hercules. We're, uh, we're just seeing uh, Hercules evade a elbow from King Haku. Yeah. WFC, Virgil and Bobby Heen and all on the outside. They've been attacking Hercules at every opportunity. Oh, mm -hmm. lovely uh, power slam there by Hercules. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, definitely a mark of respect there for Ted DiBiossi. Absolutely. Jimmy, I think Jimmy Corderas is the referee by the looks of it. Uh, I can't, is it? It's a little It's a little fuzzy, but maybe. Yeah. yeah. But there's a nice big... Uh-oh. Oh, oh Hercules on the outside now throwing some right hands. Don't go DiBiossi, don't go Virgil. Yep. Look at that. DiBiase trip, trying to trip the leg, and then he comes right out, comes back in. Oh, here we green go. Big... Ted DiBiase yep. as well. Yes, green. Just like his, his first Hasbro figure. No, his second Hasbro figure. The second Hasbro figure. Now, now here he is getting the... Now, I don't know why he got the chain, because he was kind of hand, handling Haku, if you think of it. Yeah, he had it, there was given, only... He had just given only... him, like... Yeah, he had just given him, like, the big atomic drop. 
you know? It was only DiBiase and Virgil he was having trouble with. He wasn't having yeah. trouble with Haku whatsoever. And now he's the winner of the match. Yeah. He's the winner of the match by disqualification is our, uh, our glorious King Haku. As he should be, though, you know. <laughs> we'll hail the King for another another few months, really. He, just, he didn't I... lose it until um, early 89. I never saw that. He's still my king. I refuse to. Oh admit. yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. He is. Yeah. I refuse to admit that. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, he abdicated the crown to Macho King. That's what I think. So, but whatever. A favor, I, just to keep it warm for him. That's right. Just to keep it warm, he was keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is that is Hercules and Haku. Yes, what a what a quick little match. I mean, it's it's a good it's a good television match. I think you know yeah, definitely. definitely. Point across, it was more it was more or less being used for to move on. Um, you know, Hercules further down the uh, Diviasi trail there, but uh, yeah. it's 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 funny too because I think afterwards, yeah, they end up meeting at five, and they have a much better match at five. Him and Haku. Hercules and Haku, so not or, far away uh, from that either. Hammer or whatever Howard Finkel called him. Yeah, that's right. On the original version. <laughs> that's right, Hammer. That's I love those original. Fuck it! When the, when the sign fell. So, SummerSlam though, but awesome. Cool. Yes, thank you very much, Keith. Thank you very much for yeah, joining thank us. You. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I'm glad we got to do this. I know you and I you and I talked a little, like, briefly about doing something, so we should do something again as well, yes. you know? And then, um, yeah, I mean, we'll if we each have shows that we could do separately. We could have each other on and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you know, you know, we'll have as to. As long as you like to talk again. about old Memphis, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with talking about old Memphis. I do love it. Yep. Old Memphis is a good time. Uh, where am I now? Um, eighty-three October, October eighty-three at the minute. Um, a mm. lot of the shows, a lot of the footage I've got is. Um, not the whole show. So some of the shows are whole shows and some of the shows I'm currently doing two or three weeks at a time, but 1984, I'm looking forward to doing with um, numerous names coming through. Oh so that's yeah. Gonna be, yeah. A happening for sure. That's a, that is a happen. Now I'm trying to think when was, um, when was Kaufman in, 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 in uh, Memphis? Uh, he was there earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what, I can't remember what dates, but he came in and then I'm, I think the episode I'm going to record this week, he's mm -hmm. back. Um, nice. Jerry's Jerry Lawler's in the middle of a feud with Jesse Ventura, which isn't pretty. Uh, no. Jesse Ventura in the ring is just it's not great. Not. Um, and they do an angle where they bring in the San Diego chicken. Um, oh, this is the San Diego chicken thing. Yes. Yeah, that's oh, coming. Nice. I think that's, I'm recording that like the next couple of days. So that's going to be out Excellent. in a couple of weeks. Excellent. You can tell something's going to be up because... They obviously show a lot of footage from the Mid-South Coliseum, but this mm -hmm. in the contract of this match, they're not allowed to record anything from the main event. So you kind of think, hang on a minute, something's going to be happening. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Oh, I can't wait. For, I can't wait to hear that. That's going to be great. <laughs> but uh, Jesse Ventura on the mic with Lance Russell is fun because obviously we've seen him with Mean Gene in AWA and WWF, mm -hmm. but it's quite, it's quite sort of strange seeing um, Lance because Lance, takes no shit from anybody um, no. and Jesse Ventura just carries on giving his spiel, his, sort of, his Hogan-esque spiel yes, and, absolutely. Um, yes, it's good fun <laughs> excellent, alright well be on the lookout for that everybody 
Yes, definitely over there on the Place to Be Wrestling Network. Um, mm-hmm. Each and every Saturday, we're out around. Uh, I think I think around your dinner time, I believe. I think. Yeah. Yes, I think so. I don't know if it's dropped yet this week. I have to look and see if it's dropped yet. Um, but yeah, no, check it out. Yes. Uh, cool. All righty. Well, uh, I think that just about wraps it up, right? Yes, it does. Yes. Thank you very much, everybody. And uh, enjoy the next part of the Chronoso. Now, Brother Love! Look at that smile. Ah, brothers and sisters, I love you, Keithy boy. How you doing? I love this heirloom tomato, Brother Love. <laughs> There's JT. definitely... There's a, oh, sorry. Now, as is introduced, it's JT and Keith. We're back. Third time in this episode for yep. a little bonus feature. The Brother Love Show. It's an important one. December 24th, 1988. Mm-hmm. The return of a big-time superstar, Keith. Mm-hmm. But what were you about to say? Yeah, I was going to say, there's definitely a period of time where you know they were ribbon on Pritchard by giving him, like, the wrong color red makeup. <laughs> he come, there's a few episodes where he comes out, and he is as red as the rose on his chest. Like, really like- deep. Do you like that they used to play the uh, song through the whole thing? I love it. It's the fucking best. It's such a the good only... like background beat to this absurdity that's going on. Absolutely, and it's and it and it reminds me kind of of like when you go to like an amusement park and you and you hear like you know you go into the Harry Potter world at, at yeah, Universal and they're playing yeah because especially like when he would have characters who had music. And then as soon as the music ended, the brother right. love music came back. Yeah, it comes back in. Or if there's a beat down, it stops abruptly every time. <laughs> um, I love that Stud had no real entrance. He just showed up on the thing. <laughs> he just comes in. Oh, look, look who's pajamas. back. Look at his bathroom. Oh, yeah. That's his uh, oof, That's his gigolo robe mm. with the BJS on it. Brother <laughs> love hyping him up. Do you, I mean, yeah. so there are definitely, I mean, he had never been a face, right? So, like. No. It's a pretty abrupt presentation of him to come well, back with the expectations of being a top face against Andre. Well, right now, it's I don't think it has been established yet because I think this is his this since this, this is, is his yeah no no appearance. it hasn't been but yeah, I mean he, but he's a face for the Rumble which is like sure two and a half weeks away or whatever yeah I I don't I don't, I don't understand I don't know what the hell they did oh here so I, I mean I guess they do it oh. pretty quickly here they bring Bobby out. Now, see, this is a treat. Getting some Bobby Heenan action. Bobby wants to hug, but Stud blows him off. And I don't understand why. Like, what what happened between Bobby and Big Stud? Maybe Stud feels he got left behind. I mean, is it kind of like how Richie didn't have Beansy coming to visit him in prison? (laughs) Is that what it is? There we go. He's going to say it. Oh, he's a weasel. Jesus. How original. I mean, I guess if you're going to turn and face, make this the easiest way. I'm shit on Bobby. I mean, that, if anything, that just says how awesome Bobby Heenan is to the crowd. Right. Because just the mere fact that you can say he's a weasel and the crowd automatically loves you is just amazing. Yeah, he says he's no longer in the family. I like, though, that they at least had him be the catalyst instead of, like, Bobby kicking him out. And then yeah. I'm never a fan of that because I think it makes the guy look weaker turning face. Exactly. Right. Like you want you want the guy to be like, you know, you want the guy to say like, hey, listen, man, I'm out because you right. suck balls. Yeah. You want him to be the alpha that steps up versus like sure. getting booted and having his turn. So he just says, I'm in the Rumble and I will not be with the Heenan family in the Rumble. I am in the Rumble Royale. 
I feel like Bobby doesn't have a big presence. I think he's a good Andre in the Rumble. But... He's like, he just goes, fuck you. I'm out. <laughs> so this now, is a pretty weak-ass return. I mean, he basically said six words. Plus, you can see how tight his robe oh, is. Oh, he's huge, is, yeah. Which means he does, he's got a big friggin' beer gut. Oh, yeah, he's not a vache. This was probably not the most ideal return. <laughs> no. No, and it doesn't last very long either because he's gone very quickly in LA game, almost into 89. I mean, he doesn't even make it, I don't think, to the summer. So, no, yeah. definitely not. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's gone shame. because he feuds with Akeem and then they set the feud with Andre. And then I think they realized Andre wasn't enough for like a big singles feud. Stug couldn't carry him. So, <laughs> it was a disaster. No, Listen, what's not a disaster is this, Cronoso. And the North South Connection. Check out everything we have to offer here. Uh, we have tons of great content on video, on audio. Keith and I are all over the place as well. Uh, but mm -hmm. continue to support Canoso. It's a great project that Ryan runs every two weeks. Um, so check it out. And there's more to come on this episode. So keep listening. Yeah. Oh, I just got home from work. That's not a good idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. You know, those kind of reminded me of the, the Honky Tonk Man's original theme before the Pile Driver album. It's got it's totally different, but it's got similar, similar beat to it. If you listen to them both back together, if you're a music connoisseur like Hollywood Dave Rollins is, you might pick up on that, brother. But um, I digress. Dude. We're with Cousin Luke and Cousin Butch here. Yay! <laughs> if I could lick you, tomato, I'd lick your ass right from here from Carnegie, New Jersey. Oh, nice. Your New York ass. I'm driving to Jersey. Yeah, you and your Adam Lambert concert going with that. So it's all good by me, brother. It's all good. All right, we got. We're gonna talk about a few vignettes. Only love right here, man. Only love. Adam Only Lambert, love for cousin Queen, Luke and cousin Butch. Butch. Anybody they've licked or whacked in the day. <laughs> <laughs> we're talk we're gonna talk about the bushwhackers guys the model when the bushwhackers come to mind what do you think hey, oh. exactly. i think awesome. sardines and uh licking kids which uh you know in the 88 was a little you know different era you know pre-covid <laughs> way way uh, pre-covid brother just fun, uh, and and as we're gonna see in his debut, just a uh, you know a real shock for any for uh, you know fans of the sheep herders who were uh, you know vicious and uh, they bled buckets and uh, you know faces all scarred up and uh, they got a good deal here where they we could come in as faces and uh, they could just play to the kids and uh, the match is obviously a, a lot less uh, violent and you know a lot, a lot easier on the bodies. That's why they were able to have such a long career. Right at their age, like I was surprised. Uh, uh, Dave, like, like, yeah, they when they made it to the '90s, like, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. '96 is when they made it. I think they were out in for the WrestleMania 12 title match tournament was their last match. Yeah. Were they? The Body Donnas, yeah. And members WrestleMania 17 uh, Battle Royal gimmick Battle Royal Iron Sheik had to borrow one of their belts in the uh, oh, really? backstage pants get falling yeah. down. That's <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, Hollywood Dave, what, what comes to mind when you think of the Bushwhackers? Well, actually, um, no one's ever said this before, but I always kind of wanted to say this, and it's never even come up on my own podcast, the 24-inch podcast, brother, that's a plug, me and that no-good Steve Bennett on there, uh, maybe once a month, maybe once every three weeks, come check us out on the Sportscasters feed. But uh, what I thought about right away was uh, they were the replacement, the tag team replacement for George the Animal Steel, who had just stepped away from the ring. Uh, due to Crohn's disease. Another shout out to Steve Bennett. 
And um, uh, George stepped away from the ring and became an agent. And right around that time, uh, fall 88, and it was when the Bushwhackers uh, um, end up showing up in December of 88. So it's kind of like that, you know, crazy little fun thing for the kids, family, you know. In the night right there, yep. Yeah, you right. get a little bit of a better match out of the Bushwhackers than you can uh, George, but you had that phenomenal feud with Savage with, with, with George. Uh, all story right there, of course. But yeah, two ships uh, uh, passing by in the night. And, um, you know, I, I was entertained by them. I never thought they were uh, going to win the titles or, or anything like that. Although they did come very close to, uh, with the Nasty Boys on the final NBC Saturday Night's Made event in April of 1991. But, um, yeah, I mean, they were, they were a good time. You know, that's... I was a kid. I was eight when they showed up. But by the time, you know, I started turning 11, 12, 13, they're still around. It's kind of like, all right, you know, I'm growing out of them, you know, a little bit. But then, of course, what's uh, old is new again, you know, and then you get older and you want to relive your, your childhood. And I've, I've been doing that for the past 20 years. So <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> Hollywood, baby. Hollywood oh, yeah. for a reason. All right. So there are seven vignettes. We are not going to hit seven vignettes. We we each selected a vignette to kind of check out, just to kind of catch the vibe that they were kind of, when they were presenting the Bushwhackers. And then we're going to close with their debut match review against the Bolsheviks at MSG. Those acid wash jeans. That was more of a Butch guy than a Luke guy. Yeah, Luke, uh, Butch was the leader, I'd say. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. G'day. I'm Butch. This guy had to be somebody. He's in a couple different vignettes. I've seen him. I've seen him George drive George Steele through the drive through at a Burger King or something. Sounds like the old lady giving the karate kid directions in part one. Yeah. <laughs> They definitely uh, put him at super baby faces. Uh, yeah. Uh, obviously likable, you know, definitely comedy. Yeah, I was a big Three Stooges fan as a kid. Still am now because I told you I've never grown up. And um, they reminded me of the, they got a lot of them in some ways, even crazier. Uh, he and used to say, uh, "This is living proof that Mo Howard had children." Yeah. That back then the uh, Meltzer crew would be complaining uh, right oh, now. You know, that, that, that that they that they weren't in there hitting people with uh, you know flags and making spikes and you know yeah. didn't have Johnny Ace as a manager anymore. They're going to make a mark for themselves here in the World Wrestling Federation, referring to the Bushwhackers. Do they come with a psychiatrist? You're going to get something from other professionals. <laughs> Oh, look at this one, Cousin. Ah. But the this is Hollywood Games. Oh, yeah. look at this, Cousin Luke. Isn't that a bloody beard? This is why. Would you like that, Mom? Hey, Mom. Mom. I don't my uncle Tito, so. God rest his soul, watched all the stuff with me. Oh, yeah. Like, Mom, watch 
This is my poor mother. I love you. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't give mother this. I love you. That sounds like that bloody widow. That widow, Oh, I love this it. No, buddy, Give me a buddy. look at this one, cousin Luke. You're about mum's size. No, I think that's a bit flimsy too. Yeah. Surprised they didn't try to bring in the mother. Oh yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty, cousin Luke. Oh yeah, oh, that's nice. You can see through that. Yeah. This is no good at all. I know who this is. That one looks like it might fit my last day. Bobby Eden. Bobby Eden. That's about his style. What about this one, cousin Luke? I know this would be good on. This would suit the bullshit. <laughs> oh, God, look at this lady. Oh. Now, wait a minute. Are we watching oh, old WWF? Yeah. Are we watching, yeah. are we watching yeah. porn yeah. right now? You tell your mother. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is uh, the model's pick, the restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Now, I heard a rumor that this, this lady here is a sister of the laundry lady. I'm hungry. 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 I'm Butcher's ear is still recovering from that last uh, sheep herder's match or something. Man. You can tell the lady's not a real actress. She's like really working in the restaurant. And they just oh, send that, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, and they just send these two nuts in there. And it's like... <laughs> Jesus. The left side of the menu. <laughs> Cousin, Gross. Luke, I love it, cousin. I don't even know where the bloody well starts. You know, one thing's for sure, cousin Luke. We won't need these bloody things. It's like last time we went out to dinner with my father. Damn. Housing everything. God, I feel sorry that Butch uh, passed away this year. Uh, coming up for WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, yeah that's and, sad. Uh, he didn't make it to the convention. A WrestleCon or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. Oh, How was that, mate? Now, I am a big fan of raw fish myself. I don't know about sardines. Oh, Alright, those are the vignettes that we picked, guys. We also had a soda one. We had a sardine one. We had they were in the woods. They were and they were sitting with Santa. So they had seven total vignettes <laughs> that we could have scrummed through. And also remember the uh, when the prime time was at Bush Gardens. Yes. In December of '88, they were mm -hmm. all through with the, with the zoo animals and everything. The gorilla would find them and stuff, and they, you know, they run off heen and that and that kind of thing. So that was kind of cool. The most iconic, yes. Yeah. 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 Before they even had a, a match on uh, TV, they they stretched out those vignettes for like two, three months. And as and, and this MSG match, as a matter of fact, was before they even showed yeah, this, up on the TV. This so don't big... even count. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it counts to us. You know, so, definitely counts to the New Yorkers. Well, they, they took kind of a risk, uh, you know, debuting them on MSG without, you know, because people usually don't react 
you know, without seeing them on TV, we're wrestling that. But the, you know, the, the, big, they, the big nets went over, so obviously, well, you know, we can see they, w- they got a good rea- reaction. I wonder if they ever thought about bringing them in as heels and then turning them, like how George Steele was a crazy maniac heel, yeah, and then turn, you know, then the Albano got to him and turned him. I wonder if they if they had that in mind, but the, this. By this time, 1988 with the vignettes, you could introduce introduce them brand new that, that way. So I think I'm, it, I think it worked I'm out. I'm sure well. they loved it a lot, a lot easier, and they'd have to go out there and uh, you know kill themselves a lot right, easier. Right, right. They were in their well to their 40s by this time too. Yeah, yeah. this is good. St- it's good stuff. I, I I definitely appreciate it more as an adult than I did as a kid. As a kid, I was just kind of like, I don't know, this is yeah. really for me. Corny, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I, I've well, come a, kid, a long way on the bushwhackers. You weren't even I, born yet, dude. Yeah, I was. It was oh, 80, you were? 89. I was seven, eight, nine. Oh, you know, but, uh, oh I thought you were younger than that. I'm sorry. My, no, my wife uh, actually recalls the Bushwhackers. Right. <laughs> she she remembers them, and she never even watched wrestling until we got together. Yeah, well, that's so. the thing. Like we said that's on the, the uh, on the 24 Inch podcast, we did a whole show dedicated to Terry Funk. Now, obviously, I know Terry Funk is one of the top 10 greatest of all time. But if I said to a person on the street, you know, do you know who Terry Funk is? They may say no. And if you say, you know, Coco Beware is, they're probably going to say yeah. yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's why your wife knows who the Bushwhackers are. Because it's the characters that mm-hmm. people remember. Yep, for sure. They, they they fall definitely in that line. All right. So, D'Amato, lead us in the charge. Of the, what was up with this match at MSG? What was your overall thoughts and vibe on that? Well, uh, they got a they got a great reaction because of the 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 nets, even though the the people had never actually seen them wrestle. But what struck me is right away, uh, well, a good setup with a, a good heel, uh, you know, jobber uh, team, uh, kind of a, which, which was what the Bolsheviks were at the time. But they came right in and and they showed what they were right away. They they came in, uh, you know, whacking and uh, you know doing all the histrionics. They they don't wait they don't waste any time. That was good. They 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 got the crowd. They they sucked them right in, uh, and and they they established what they were going to be. You know, nothing uh, nothing great on the wrestling term, but just all, you know, just all histrionics and uh, all the moves, uh, great comedy, and uh, just uh, just a good match uh, between these two. You know, it's a lot of kicking and punching and uh, double clotheslines, but uh, nothing too devastating. But uh, but they showed that they were going to bring the entertainment really hard. And uh, my favorite spot was uh, like towards the end of the match, where uh, where it was Luke was uh, stuck in the corner. Uh, Butch was stuck in the corner. Luke went over to save them. And uh, first he hits Nikolai, then he hits friggin' Boris, and then he friggin' slugs Butch. <laughs> and, and it was just yeah, that's wrestling right there. Yeah, that, that, that was that was my favorite spot right there. <laughs> yeah. Now these guys were definitely a changeup. When like when you're building a car, you're building a flow. You you know you're putting the brain busters and the rockers on, probably early, right? You, to get the crowd up. This is a this is probably the match that you put on right before the main event, so to speak. All right, kind of bring the give you give you some levity, bring the crowd down before you get to the good match. I think it was in the first, it was in the first half of the show. I think if I remember correctly, I didn't I didn't see it. I'm just I mean, saying in general. Recently. A symbol of kind of just bringing the crowd to have some fun. Yeah. After and plus, this is the uh, this is the holiday show. This is the holiday show, so a lot more kids are going to be there, and uh, definitely yeah. they they ate it up. And also, uh, Lord Al on uh, 
on commentary. It was Lord Al, Tron God, and a Hillbilly. Not the greatest uh, trio there, but Lord Al, the friggin' he ate it up. He was he was like jerking it to the bushwhackers. He he, he loved it. He's like, oh, they're unorthodox, uh, very unorthodox. <laughs> uh, but he but, but he was like laughing his ass off. He, yeah. I, I don't even know if he was faking. I think he really liked the uh, the antics. That... Hollywood Vince must have loved this, right? Oh, Vince ate this up. It's Vince got me and Vince got the same kind of same kind of talent. Uh, when it comes uh, talent, same kind of whoa, same kind of sense uh, of humor. Elaborate humor when it comes to when it comes to professional wrestling. Uh, mostly everything else is different when it comes to, uh, but uh, but um, yeah, probably same sense of humor when it comes to wrestling. So yeah, I I you eat this stuff up at first, but after a while you start maybe getting a little sick of it. It wears it wears out a little bit. But um, unfortunately, I did not watch the match. I screwed up my memo and I watched watched something else. But obviously, I've seen this card. So instead, I'll tell uh, I'll tell a little story um, about this night, um, December thirtieth, nineteen eighty eight, and we get all the live shows on the Embassy Network, like Demato knows, uh, where the rest of the country you know couldn't couldn't see these. These were just house shows. And, you know, now we all have them on tape and different things, but um, we have to program it. And I'm all pissed off. Like wrestling's on tonight. Where no, we're going out as a family, family night. So the next thing you know. You know, I'm eight years old. I don't know. We're looking at the Christmas tree in New York City, the Rockefeller Center. And then all of a sudden, you know, we go, we think the little Italy to get something to eat. I see people walking by with the hacksaw, Jim Duggan, foam thumbs and everything. So they're coming out of the garden. So I'm like, what? I got stuck with family night with my sisters and mom and dad. Right here is, the, is where this was happening, where this was taking place. But yeah, I got to see it on tape when I got home. Uh, Randy Savage and Bad News Brown was the, the main event um, on this night. And I also got to say about the Masters, tomorrow it's got to be one of Nikolai's, one of the Bolsheviks last for about a year. Then they uh, then they make that return. They return yeah. job out to the hearts at WrestleMania 6, and then then they turn Nikolai face. But they were uh, actually uh, the perfect opponent for the uh, Bushwhackers. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what what the deal was with Nikolai. Why why he left for a year? I just, I don't know why. That's something good to look into because uh, he was such a mainstay in, in WWF. Nikolai Volkov. But it's so cool that you know these guys, like you said, hadn't even had a TV match yet, right? But the whole crowd, the whole Madison Square Garden, eighteen thousand fans know who they are because of those vignettes. You know, that's something that's something that could be missing today or even something that could be missing 20 years ago. They just throw somebody out there and you can hear a penny drop because nobody knows who it is. You know what I mean? But, uh, they, you know, they got used to these characters like you would get used to a character on a sitcom. You know, so boom, they come out and, uh, you know, the place goes wild. They know what they're all about. They know that they like they're they're like the Three Stooges or something like that. They're, they're com- you know, comedy duo. Yeah, but they no. they really seized the moment. They didn't come in with you know with rest holds and anything. They they, no. they showed yeah, all, they, they showed went. all that stuff and they got over there. You know that marching and stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah. And then yeah, and then Nikolai uh, t- 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 took more bumps in this match than than he has since uh, you know since probably since the Hogan match. Uh, he, yeah, Nikolai Nikolai had a way of falling down and went like in three <laughs> steps. You know what <laughs> I mean? First first he go down to a knee, then he go down to his butt, then he then he go down to his back instead of taking just a flat back bump. You know, so uh, Nikolai had his uh, his process there. They they never came up with a, a name for that move though. Their uh, their whatever the double stomach double, break like, or whatever. Yeah, yeah they like never a, they 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 should have come up with like some fancy like you know the whack job or whatever. The hell yeah, like it's a reverse backbreaker. I would say yeah. right, double reverse backbreaker. But that they wouldn't have called it that. They should have had a name for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah they don't funny. say like, oh, stomach breaker or something stupid. But yeah, they should have had like, you know, the, the, the yeah. whack job or whatever the hell. They, you know, and they were big with the, the the Hasbro figures. Everybody had the Bushwhackers, right? The, yeah. Either one of them laying around. Looking at them right now, brother. Right, there you go. And they almost yeah. got they almost got LJNs. They were in that very last line that never came out, that never got produced. We, we would have gotten the Bushwhackers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But the, the MSG crowd ate them up. When you get the MSG crowd like that, you, you knew they were on their way. And, and uh, I don't think that they, this was before. They didn't have the uh, interest music yet. The uh, the little uh, corny, like a, you know, kind of like a childlike music. But they so they just came. Yet. They just mm. came out. Like I said before, it was like it kind of reminded me of the Hockey Talk Man's first first theme, not the one from Pile Driver, the one before that. Like yeah. the, if it's like a slowed down version of that without the words. But um, uh, they came out to no music, not nothing at all, not even like a generic. Nah. I, I didn't. I haven't seen this card in several years. I should have watched it, but I did not. <laughs> yeah, but but it was it was about a two second entrance anyway. They they came right in and started kicking and kicking a whack. Oh, I think I remember that. They kind of yeah yeah okay okay because even at the Royal Rumble, uh, they were kind of like doing like the uh you know the march, but they were like running with it, yeah. not not like <laughs> they didn't have their cadence like, down yet. They didn't have it down yet. Yeah, uh, the best was when Jesse would go there. They are the marching morons. <laughs> yeah, marching. Isn't it funny how when uh, when she came back, Colonel Mustafa, he did the same thing. Yeah. Like that. That's like totally not a Vince thing. Like Vince, you would think would stop him and like, no, the Bushwhackers do that. You can't do that. Like I, I don't know if that was some kind of a rib or, or I mean, obviously Vince is uh, calling his matches, so he's see, he's seeing the she. Yeah, I know uh, it's some kind of a military march, but I mean it's very very close. Yeah, she can made know? a she can made a need of that to keep a balance. Uh, and, and yeah, and he, and he wore he <laughs> wore so their top heavy. He had to you know bring it down a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and he wore their basically their same attire too. As uh, well, Stop. he wore their belt at WrestleMania <laughs> 17. We learned earlier. Yeah, so. yeah there you go. Yeah. He's a, the he's, the third, he's used to it. He's the third Bushwhacker. I wonder if fuck them or not. <laughs> the, cargo, the cargo pants, yeah. Mm -hmm. But either way, both you motherfuckers have humbled me into loving the Bushwhackers, and I appreciate yeah, it. I so, love the Bushwhackers. Uh, Dave and Johnny, thanks as always, guys. What's thanks for having Bushwhackers. us again, man. Out to the tune, brother. There we go. Put them up. Even if he did just come out of work. Oh my word. Oh. I'm just <laughs> Later, <kidding>. boys. Hello, Pronoso Monthly. I am Ryan Everett, and I will be talking about a match from Madison Square Garden, December 30th, 1988. Greg the Hammer Valentine versus the just recently debuted Rugged Ronnie Garvin. And recently debuted, he had been in the company for about a month, but he had only just started appearing on TV, and he actually appeared at an a the AWA pay-per-view a couple weeks before in between when he had started appearing at WWF and started on TV and being a pushed character. So this is very early in his run. And I actually did this match with uh, Scott and JT a couple of years ago on the Vintage Vault refresh. And when I saw this match being available, I definitely jumped on it because it is somewhat of a hidden gem, I would say, because... Uh, growing up, I was not a big Ronnie, Ronnie, rugged Ronnie Garvin fan because I had only known of him as, you know, the guy who loses to Dino Bravo at WrestleMania. And then at 1989 SummerSlam, he is a ring announcer. And then he's the least important member of the Survivor Series team in 1989. And then he has the submission match at Royal Rumble 90. So 
just ran down his whole career in the WWF. But it's a weird, he's there, he's, you know, kind of like a jobber, but does get, he does get bigger matches, and he's always featured one way or another, though. So, and then when I was younger, finding out that he was NWA champ really threw me for a loop. I was like, the guy with the towel and WWF, because that was the thing I remembered most about him. But no, it's, but then after seeing more, a lot of his NWA Jim Crackett stuff, it really shows that he, he definitely did have it, I think. By the time he got to WWF, though, it was kind of, he was winding down a little bit, and his style is not exactly WWF late 80s friendly, but here against Greg Valentine, who really basically feuds with almost his whole career career in WWF, really that whole year plus, that starts with matches against Greg Valentine and then kind of winds down with that also. Um, but no, this is, and this is very different from 1988 WWF. I mean, the Bushwhackers are also making their MSG debut here and to kind of let you know where they're at. They have a 10 minute match with the Bolsheviks on this card. So that is where we're at. And Rugged Randy Garden, though, he is, him and Valentine have just a knockdown drag. You know, it starts a little slow where they're just trying to fill each other out. And then they just start wailing on each other. Big, huge chops and punches. Valentine's chest is all beet red. Valentine is like doing his wobbly selling and it's very good. It is not what you would expect from the WWF at this time, but it was a very good match. I liked it. Uh, towards the end, uh, the hammer starts working on uh, Garvin's legs, trying to soften him up for the figure four, but uh, Valentine or Garvin is able to take him down and hits the Garvin stamp. And then takes off his, the Heartbreaker uh, shin guard that the hammer would use and swings at him, swings swings it at uh, Valentine and then goes, Jimmy Hart's on the apron, so he goes after him. And then Valentine is able to hit him with, I think he just rolls him up, like a real cheap, cheap roll-up victory. But it's good because, you know, you want to kind of build up Hammer also. He's been... You know, most of 1988 not doing too much. He, yeah, he was really kind of just a guy. So this was at least getting him heated up a little bit, have him do something other than just being, you know, the third most important guy in the Jimmy Hart stable. But, yeah, so a nice win. It's about 10, 12 minutes of just fast action. It's kind of, it seems, it would seem more in place in, 1988 Jim Crockett, but here it is in Madison Square Garden, the opposite of Jim Crockett. But no, really good match. If you want to track it down, I would highly advise it, and it's definitely the best match on that card. There is a Randy Savage versus Bad News Brown main event, which is okay, but I would suggest this match, and it's, I would go eh, three and a quarter, three and three quarters. I would say it's just under four. And then afterwards, uh, to keep the heat in the feud, Garvin does attack Valentine with the shin guard and hits him once or twice. And I don't know if I was Rugged Randy Garvin, he might have to look into getting his own 
uh, Shingard, which we might see in a later episode of The Cronoso. So until then, I'm Ryan Everett. Uh, I have With This Ring and the Place to Be Nation Network. So check that out if you want. But uh, yeah, until next time. Bye. And that is it for this episode of Cronoso. Part one of a two-part episode of Potpourri of Things Between Survivor Series 1988 and the Royal Rumble 1989. And that is it for 1988. It's in the books. It's done, delivered, and toasted within Cronoso. So, next episode, we will see you in Tampa Bay, Florida for the Saturday Night's Main Event 19 and a few hidden jokes. That's it for me now, guys.